story about as old as time Cattle selling cheaper and diesels on the rise Can't hardly afford to keep this old deer running If we make it through the year, then we really done something What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hitters Only Podcast. Hey, uh, thanks for everybody for checking back in with us. I'm real excited about this guest today. Uh, he just left out of here today, and I had Pat on with Miller Holler. Really good uh, southern rock band located in Nashville. They do a lot of local shows at the Wild Horse Saloon, uh, Old Red, and um, they do a lot of traveling, got a tour bus, legit. Um, you can find him on any social media platform, YouTube at Miller Holler, and he plugs all of his stuff on the podcast. We did, we, we did about two and a half hours, so it was a really good time. We talked about um, him as an artist and a songwriter and his life and kind of how he's got to where he is today and a really good conversation. We talked about everything under the sun, a little bit of politics, a little bit of music, a little bit of uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, and it was really fun. He he was a really nice guy, and uh, I'll, you know, he's always welcome back on here anytime, and a really good man, and I was so thankful for him coming on and uh, helping me out. You know, hitters only is, you know, based around life but it's also a heavy uh, music podcast too i like to talk about music and get into all that and being so close to nashville i'm blessed to have some of these guys on and uh, pat was a good one so i don't want to get uh too long-winded here on this intro but um, thank you everybody for listening and thank you again pat for coming on the hitters only podcast and without further ado everybody here's uh, pat with miller holler Crack it down, keep doing what we do like we've always done. Fire up the track to try to make a living. Hit your knees and you pray for all you've been given. I do I this house didn't have a didn't have a shop or anything when we built it. It was kind of a fixer upper and I pretty much immediately built this and then I put all the cedar up and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Oh, it looks great in here, man. Well, I appreciate it. So do it together and it's always kind of been a hangout spot for all of our friends and and then uh turn into a podcast studio kind of yeah <laughs> so i love it i got the same spools in my yeah, shop yeah man everybody's always like man where do you get these i'm like dude any electric department gives them away like candy yeah they, they, can't, they can't get rid of them they can't get rid of them but yeah man cool dude appreciate you coming on man um you're the first artist or you know guy in a band or songwriter and all the above uh, i've had on so i really do appreciate you yeah man i appreciate you having me on yeah i know probably wasn't the shortest drive out here is traffic all right yeah not bad past a little roadblock on 24 coming the other way into town but other than that i was, I was lucky it, i was explaining to my dad this past weekend 24 the stretch from murfreesboro into nashville is the straightest road of all time and every day there's a wreck i can't believe it i, I mean, don't understand why i always tell my buddies i said you can cut the truck the brakes on my truck and i can make it from murfreesboro to nashville no problem i don't know what why people are having an issue and if it rains i'll get the get the hell out you, oh you, yeah <laughs> you are absolutely screwed if it rains but we were going to nashville a couple of weeks ago to take our daughter to this disney thing and some girl was on her phone and she just like skidded across all four lanes of traffic 
and then just sat there. And I was like, I'm glad we got in front of that because it's fitting to be a pileup back there. Good Lord. Yeah. So how long you lived in Nashville, though? Uh, I moved here in 2012, and I actually missed Nashville by 45 minutes and moved to Murfreesboro. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> that's where we were initially living out in, like, uh, Fall Creek Parkway. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. near Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And then 2014, I moved to Ashland City. So right now where I live, I'm about 20 minutes from Broadway. Nice. Yeah. We're, nice. like, as close to Nashville as you can get. Yeah. I mean, point. Not, not being in the madness, really. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And, which, it's getting crazy out there, you know. Yeah, man. It, I mean, Murfreesboro, your wife Amy knows. It's It's been – it was really cool when we were, like, in high school and younger. But it's just getting bigger and bigger. And it's like the road systems are not set up for it to be, like, a major city yet. Yeah. So you're just constantly screwed with – School zones and everything else, but... I know, yeah, when we lived here, it was 20 minutes to go, you know, when we lived in Murfreesboro, 20 minutes to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You go to Walmart, do whatever, it's like, all right, well, let me shave an hour out of my day if I got to go pick up milk, you know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> just yeah. traffic was so bad, man, yeah. but... But, dude, speaking of, uh, man, congratulations on uh, baby coming. Thank you, man. You pumped yeah. up? I'm ready, dude. We're having a little boy. And- oh, yeah. Nice. We haven't made like a public announcement, so I'm probably oh telling tales hey, out of school. But I can uh, I can edit that. I thought you posted on your social media. Oh, oh for I, the boy. we said we're having a baby, but we okay. didn't say what it's. All right, if you're listening to the podcast, we're having a boy. Hey, <laughs> if you want me to, I'll edit it. No, <laughs> no, leave it in. Leave it in. The, the the real ones who follow us will know. Hey, there so. you go. Congratulations. I'm not even going to ask the name because we didn't re- we didn't let nobody know a name till. Until she came, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was advised, don't tell anybody the name. No, nah, man, because people will be like, oh, I kind of don't really like that. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, right, then thank when, you. Then, yeah, then when they get here, you can tell them the name, and they're like, oh, it fits so perfect. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, man, that's cool, dude. It looks like you're a you're a go-getter, and um, and your wife's a go-getter, too, now. She, she is, man. I hadn't talked to her in a long time. We went to high school together, and she was... Um, yeah, that's what she was telling me. Dude, she did not mess around. She was. I was telling my wife the other night, I said, Amy was about her business in high school. She played softball. She played basketball. So, if you weren't seeing her before or after practice or something like that, Amy was... She's a, she's a hustler. Yeah, yeah, man. And that's actually... Uh, I just passed the place up here where we met in the... Uh, that field in front of the football stadium mm-hmm. at MTSU. Yeah. They're having the wing fling oh, for yeah. all the fraternities and sororities, cook chicken wings. And she was the organizer of that event. Oh, and, wow. uh, I haven't been to that sucker in a while. We used to tear that thing up. Yeah, yeah. man. That was great. We were the band. So her sister oh, nice. her sister used to follow our band. And she was like, you got to get the boys if you need a band. And yeah. Amy didn't know us from anybody. She could care less. You know, uh-huh. she was out doing her thing. and. That's cool, man. So that's how y'all met, kind yeah. of through all that. Yeah. End of the day, she's cleaning up, and she says, "Does anybody have a knife?" And I turned around and saw her, and I was like, "I don't know who you are, but I'll I definitely one. have a knife. I'll yeah, find I will one. find you a knife." <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. I remember. I think we were, we were in. I used to see her at tailgates and stuff every once in a while in college. Uh, but yeah, I remember those those. So y'all been doing. So Miller Holler, was that you were doing that back then too? Uh, no, I was with a band called Adair's Run that I started. Uh, me and the lead singer started that back in 09. Okay. And uh, we were up in West Virginia, and so we had just moved to Nashville. We were green as we could be, but we were playing some bars and stuff and playing the road a ton. Um, 
So, I mean, we, we lived in Nashville for five years before we even played on Broadway, you know. Okay, so you were originally from Virginia, right? Originally from Virginia, then I went to school up at uh, Marshall in West Virginia. Okay. And that's yeah. where I started started uh, my last band. That's a cool That's a cool school. It's kind of like MTSU or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's not huge. Like It's not like an Ohio State or something, but it's no, bigger than, yeah. you know, I had a bunch of D2 and D3 offers to play football mm-hmm. out of high school and nice and uh i you know i was an invited walk-on at marshall but i was like okay you know i could see myself yeah there's been some playing some, uh, time here there's been some guys play there that are pretty recognizable like that there's isn't there a famous story of demarcus russell no oh man. it's oh they had chad pennington yeah. uh, randy moss randy moss okay. um who's the byron leftwich that's who it was and he got hurt and they were picking him up. The offensive linemen were picking him up and carrying him down the field to the next spot. And, and yeah, yeah, that whole deal. That was like a famous little uh, fourth quarter comeback thing right there. That's cool though, man. So yeah. what, what position did you play? Well, I was a defensive end in high school. I actually ended up not playing at Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, invited walk on, man. I'd already had nine concussions at that point, and I saw these dudes. And I mean, I'm six three, two twenty, and mm-hmm. back then I was in real good shape and. Uh, these dudes just make me look like a dwarf. I mean, they were yeah, man. Hum- I was like, I'm not going to go get my brains beat in for no money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you hey, if they were going to take care of my tuition, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I still got to go to school. I'm going to get beat up by these dudes that are just giants. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's kind of funny. Same story for me. I, I had an opportunity uh, to play football a couple of places. And then uh, a school that I potentially had like a, a scholarship offered to, the coach got fired and I hadn't signed and everything fell through. And then he was like, well, you can come be an invited walk-on. And I made my mind up my senior year that I wasn't going to play football for free anymore. You know, they were going to have to yeah. do something. Yeah. So, And, you know, I was a 5'9", 215-pound fullback, maybe 5'10", 11 with cleats on. Yeah. And uh, – I I was in the concussion game as well. So yeah, right. <laughs> I, I I said, man, I'm tired of beating my head in. I'm tired of all the headaches. I had already had some pretty serious concussions, so it was time for me to hang it up too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you mentioned something about brain trauma or at contact sports on the last yeah. podcast, and I was if like, I'm blanking yep. in here. I'm like CTE. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I got I, I I freak out sometimes. I dropped a spatula. I was cooking eggs the other day, and I. Drops a spatula, and I go, F you, spatula. <laughs> yeah. And Amy's standing there looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I go, babe, why do I do that? Yeah. And she's like, maybe something to do with that head trauma. I'm like, oh, yeah, b- bouts of anger. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need need any more of that. So that's that's funny, man. So when y'all – so so you and a group of guys moved from Virginia to Nashville just to, Yeah, just yeah. So we were up at uh, uh, Huntington, West Virginia, and we toured all over for about three years, played every bar in West Virginia. And then we, uh, me and the lead singer came down and checked out Nashville. We were like, man, this is where we got to be. Nice. You know, I, I was in three bands at the time, and, and uh, you know, Adair's Run, it, it was we were called something else back then. We were called Gage. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, it was like, he had a job lined up down here and working for Pepsi and I didn't have much going on. I was bouncing at bars when I, when we weren't playing and, and, uh, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm ready to go. So we took our drummer, our bass player. Those guys were all on board. We moved down, gave it a good run. And that band actually broke up right at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. 
or like right before COVID. And I started my new band, Miller Holler, and uh, played one show at the at Old Red, and we were on our second on our way to our second show at the Wild Horse, which is going to be our first time in the Wild Horse as Miller Holler. Nice. And uh, I love the Wild Horse. Man. It's a, the best venue, man. Best I, venue. Man, back in the day when I was growing up, uh, early two thousands, late nineties. The Wild Horse was Nashville. Yeah. I mean, that was like the place. If you were playing there, I mean, it's still awesome. They've redone a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Eric Church play there. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, they got great. Uh, we just opened up for Kansas, Boston, and Asia out there the other day. And nice. It's like, I never thought I'd be on stage with those guys. Yeah, you know? man. That's a sick music venue and bar. And we, we, if we don't go as much as we used to, but when we used to go tear up Nashville, I always, we used to always end the night. At the Wild Horse Saloon. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Old Red's a sick bar, too, man. That's a yeah, that's we'll be doing Shelton's place. We'll be yeah. doing that one on uh, Saturday. Oh, uh, really? Doing an 11 to 2. Yeah, I play with this band here, Tailgate Revival. Mm-hmm. All your listeners can't see. I'm wearing a hat. But anyways, uh, it's basically Miller Holler, and then our buddy Blake fronts that band. It's more like 90s country and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. Miller Holler's more country and southern rock i would say more southern rock than country Mm -hmm. honestly Mm -hmm. um and our live shows you know our our recorded stuff sounds kind of radio friendly Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah i mean tailgate revival man that's a great time we just did kentucky headhunters uh saturday night in Terre Haute, and we opened up for tracy bird the weekend before that so nice nice yeah blake billman he's got a bunch of stuff going on he's a buddy of mine i used to actually play after him his band would open up for us on like some national acts up in evansville that's where he's from yeah i hated following this guy hated following him Mm -hmm. i mean just such a good entertainer i'm like damn like this is his hometown crowd this guy's working them. I mean, yeah. doing all the, you know, <laughs> singing. Uh, uh, what's that Lee Greenwood song? Uh, God bless the USA. Oh yeah, dude, I get everybody hyped up in he that would, mug. Man. Oh my God, <laughs> he would do that acapella and have the whole bar singing. I'm like, well, we got to follow this, boys. You better bring the A game today. Yeah. So, anyways, Blake called me during COVID and he said, "Man, I'm, you know, my band doesn't want to do it anymore. I need." He said, "I want you to come play guitar. Yeah, let's give this thing like 12 shows." He said, "I want to do 12 shows this year." That was in 2020, and I said, "Well, just use my voice, and you know, that'll give me vocal rest, and we'll yeah. go out, and we're already tight, and yeah, and man, we'll put on a good show." Tailgate Revival and Miller Holler, those are two really solid names. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you got. You know, that's that's good. I, um, what what kind of made you like? What is the background behind Miller Holler, you just kind of y'all just kind of came up with that name, or does it have so, uh, any significance? Yeah, there? so the significance there. Um, so my mom's last name, maiden name, is Miller. Okay. And so, okay, so to give the backstory on that, my mom is country as cornbread mm-hmm. from Virginia, down in the holler, and uh, my dad is one hundred percent Italian from Ohio. Nice. So I got like <clears throat> all the street smarts from the dad side. Sounds like an awesome mix. All though. the mafia stuff. And then like <laughs> all the fun redneck stuff from my mom's side. So anyways, yeah. I was just talking to her on the phone one day. This is probably back in the day, 2017, 18. And I said, what are you doing today, mama? She said, I'm going down to see my sister at Miller Holler. She said, I got to go down to Miller Holler and see my sister. And I said, Miller Holler. I said, that's a band name right yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, all right, so we do country music and rough, rowdy kind of southern rock, you know, music for rednecks. I was like, let's just call it Miller Holler, man. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, That's cool, man. <clears throat> so do you, like, when you do these shows, do you, I know you probably play 
uh, a lot of your own music as much as you can, but do you also like throw in those favorite, you know, songs that you're just, you know, covers is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, it's a heavy cover set, especially when we're doing like college bars and like Wild Horse and stuff, you know, people are out partying, man. They want to hear what they what they know. Now, when we do like an opening slot for a national act, that's when you throw in, like, make it real original heavy. Mm-hmm. People are out. They want to hear new music. They're Absolutely. expecting to watch music. You yeah. know, they're not just there to drink and sing yeah. Friends in Low Places. That's, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. on Broadway, you know, that's what they want to do, and that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I love doing whatever we can do. I think covers are cool, man. I think they're kind of coming back. Um, I mean, Luke Combs just did a cover of uh, Fast Car. Yeah. And uh, I went to the Eric Church concert at Nissan Stadium uh, four or five years ago, and he sang like three or four covers. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, man. So do you know who Heath Sanders is? Oh, that sounds familiar. He was on – he's kind of low-key still. He um, he was on Bobby Bones a couple years ago. He sings the song Bloodline. But um, I did see that. I think he signed with Big Machine Records or something, and then they kind of had a falling out. And but he, we just saw him at a little venue in uh, Eagleville, the Grindstone Cowboy. There's a little music venue there, which is pretty cool, man. I think you'd like playing there. Yeah. And he did an acoustic session there, and he was he's got a bunch of <clears throat> awesome original songs. But he was also like slamming the covers, and he was like, "He's like, I can't help it. I just love doing covers just as much as my own music too." Cause Man, I grew up on this stuff, and I want to play it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we do some ZZ Top, some Skinner, some Stevie Ray Vaughan, and it's like that's all songs I remember listening to in my dad's old like seventies. He had this big Buick, man, and we'd be driving to school listening to these, you know, tunes and stuff. And yeah. I'm like, it's nostalgic. Yeah. yeah, how often do you have to play Freebird because somebody, some drunk guy won't stop yelling at So uh, we take a lot of pride in our Freebird. You and, can shred that solo? And uh, I, I don't do the solo. <laughs> I, I make it a point to hire better musicians than me. I say, if I'm not the worst one in the band, yeah. something's wrong, you know. Yeah. I'm yeah. the front guy. All I got to do is entertain. You guys need to be, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I'm lucky. I've got some amazing players. But, yeah, when people yell Freebird, I'm like, all right, we will call that bluff because uh, – <laughs> I think people do it because they don't think you can do it. That's, that's, that's it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, But now anymore, you know, <clears throat> I say, hey, do you all want to hear some Skinner? And I'm like, I, ha- I almost have to, like, recommend – like, do you all want to hear Freebird? And there's always a bunch of girls that are, you know – 20 something years old and they're like oh no don't play Freebird." and i'm like what is oh, wrong yeah, you guys like, suck man yeah. i'm like for real don't play Freebird." dang so man. then i'll say here's some morgan wallen and then i'll play Freebird." yeah <laughs> there you go uh my buddy justin he's the lead singer and guitar player of the uh, graham anthem band they play a lot local bars and just weddings whatever and his thing every time i've ever seen them if somebody starts murmuring Freebird in the crowd, he's always like, all right, here's the deal. He was like, we'll sing the song and I'll shred the solo, but somebody has to come up and put a $100 bill in that tip bucket. Yep. And it always works, dude. Freebird's a $100 song. <laughs> it's a $100 I song. say, if everybody in here pulls a dollar out of your pocket, we'll be where we need to be. So. Oh, man, that's funny. So um, what kind of music did you grow up on in, in Virginia? Do you big, do they have a lot of country music radio stations yeah. and stuff up there? Oh, yeah, big time, man. Yeah. Um, you know, my very first cassette that I had was an Alabama cassette, and uh, 
Nice. You know, if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. I wore that out. I wore that out. And, uh, you know, my dad was a musician, so he would always play on his acoustic, chasing that neon rainbow. And so, I mean, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, a lot of rock and roll. Like I said, Pops is from up north. Mm -hmm. So all the ZZ Top, all the Fog Hat, all the Skinnerd, I mean, that's like the steel belt up there the rust belt so they were just hard-nosed dudes yeah. factory workers man they mm-hmm. weren't putting up with any fluff yeah so uh yeah i got a i got a wide range of of exposure to different kinds of music as a kid and mm-hmm. um i was really really lucky to have that so uh you know and that shows a lot in our music it's some stuff's laid back some stuff kind of sounds like what's on the radio some stuff's more rocking mm-hmm. like thrive our song uh it was actually our first single that we released, and it's, it's like kind of heavy rock, man. It's ripping guitar solos and yeah. heavy riffs, and man, I think uh, the age-old argument of like modern-day country music is not country music. That that argument to me is kind of like the um, Ford Chevy thing. I think it's kind of stupid. I like both of them. Yeah, and so no one today is really gonna make like very very traditional country tracks or at least most people aren't i think most people in the country music area they like a little more upbeat you know a little more jam yeah and so country music and southern rock i really feel like just kind of melted together and i love it yeah that's kind of how i like it you know florida georgia line took a bunch of heat because they were kind of they were kind of the first ones to come out of the 90s country i feel like yeah but I mean, hell, I like some Florida Georgia Line songs, and um, you know, all these guys are kind of doing a mix of both now, and I think it's cool. I mean, you look at anybody's uh, Apple Music playlist or whatever now, I guarantee you it's Ice Cube, and and then the next song's Country, and yep. that's how I am. I'm all over the place. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, you don't want to put my iPhone on the on shuffle during a party, dude. You'll be NWA, yeah, <laughs> and Little John, and then. I was like, you know, we're riding down the, we'll be riding in the van or the bus now down the road, and I'll be playing, like, last weekend I had, I played Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd all the way through, and I was like, "Hmm." Rolling Stones. I was like, let me put on Rick Ross now. And then then we listened to a whole Rick Ross album, then it was like, man, let's put on a ZZ Top album, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, so... Yeah, that's the good thing about people making music now is we were exposed to so much. Mm -hmm. It's not just whatever radio station you had. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you remember when LimeWire and Napster and all that stuff. came. We all destroyed our family computers with viruses. And man, I'll never forget just crashing my parents computer in the living room and my brother having like replaced the hard drive. Dude, burnt CDs and yeah, all that. It yeah, was sick. Back but in you the know, day. somebody would come to school and say, "Oh, have you heard of whatever metal band or whatever rap group?" And it's like they don't play this on the radio. Yeah, you know, in small town Virginia, where they're still playing the same six songs on rock radio that they were playing when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And so you just got exposed to so much more, and and uh, you know, people saying today's country isn't real country. It's like, well, if you look at Hank Williams Sr. Compared to Hank Williams Jr., I mean, you could say the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's way like, different. Yeah, so so I mean, it's just everything changes, man. Well, that's the only thing that's consistent. Doesn't music have to change to get better? Yeah, you can't just stay in the same slot, you know. And you can't do what what everybody else is doing, man. I mean, I think Loretta Lynn. It might have been Loretta Lynn that said, "If you ain't 
if you ain't doing something different, you ain't doing shit. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree, man. My my father-in-law, he's in his mid-60s, and he told me, he was like, man, when I was younger running around, he goes, most young people and stuff like that listen to, like, rock and roll. The Stones, Skinner, yeah. uh, ACDC. And he goes, man, really, like, that traditional country sound, really, like, only the old folks, like, rocking on their front porch were really listening to that. Yeah. And he said, and then, you know, these – these new guys kind of came along and added them both together. And he's like, I think it's kind of cool. So, yeah, no so. doubt. But did, I mean, all that together, did that influence you on how you, you write songs too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I would do a lot of writing, um, man. And it's, it's wild, you know, like I said, my dad was a musician. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, he was always playing James Taylor songs and Eagle songs and these guys that were just fantastic songwriters. So, I remember when I moved to Nashville, I had been writing songs since I was 13. So, you know, what, 10 years, I guess, later, yeah, I moved to Nashville. And um, and I was sitting in a write one day with a guy, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of green at this. I said, you know, I know where the parts are supposed to go, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out. And he's like, well, you know more than most people in this town. I'm oh, like, wow. really? I'm like, it's that, that just seemed like so uh, fundamental. You know, it's like you listen to enough music, you play enough music, and it's like, okay, this is how they go. Yeah. You know, um, this is just kind of the format, which the format's a lot more strict for country radio today. You know, there's a formula. There's that money-making formula. How much cuss words can you put in a song if it's going to be on the radio? I don't know. Is there like a limit? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's. I think if it's said tastefully, you can get away with some things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't think you can... There, there's got to be a threshold, but the the less the better. You know, it's like comedy. You always work if you do clean comedy. You know. Yeah, yeah. Nate Bargetti, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. He's doing well because of that. Oh, but, he's hilarious. Yeah, he is funny. But um, so how do you have you been in like any of these writer rooms with these with these other songwriters or? Man, I did. Uh, I've done quite a few rounds over the years, but I did my biggest round the other day at the listening room okay i've heard of that. um yeah we did an event for it was kroger truest bank and moon pie was hosting it and uh what they do is they bring in like a a big song like a hit writer and mm-hmm. then three up and comers so it was danny wells who's wrote like check yes or no for george Strait. oh he nice wrote some rascal flats some craig morgan tunes uh and uh and then it was a girl that was on like team blake on the voice and she's been on the opry like 17 times and another girl who had blown up on tiktok overnight and she's got mm. you know five million tiktok fans or whatever and i'm just like yeah man i you know i don't have a huge tiktok i don't have a hit i've never been on the opry but i have played over 1300 shows yeah, you know yeah slept in a van many many nights yeah uh, that, that's cool i was listening to a, a podcast recently i can't remember if it was um it was somebody on Joe Rogan. It was either Luke Combs or Jelly Roll or somebody like that, and they were talking about the writing rooms in Nashville. Uh, maybe it was Laney Wilson, but um, and they were talking about how sometimes they break it down even like you get money for literally which line of the song you put in there. He said some of them are petty and some of them aren't. They just kind of split it up evenly, but, yeah, that sounds like wild. Y'all just in there picking guitar, just trying to come up Man. with the – I mean, I, I've heard stories of guys walking in just to say, hey, during a write, and then they throw in a word, and that's where the, the, the saying, a word gets a third. Wow. So if you're, the, if you're just the guy and you throw in one idea, hey, well, I wrote on that. But, like, dude, it's so 
it's almost creepy. It's like, they're like, <laughs> you know, hey, I'll say, hey, like, is it cool if my wife's here? And, you know, mm-hmm. while we write today and I've had guys before be like, yeah, but, you know, just know, like, if this hits, it's going to be split between us. Like, even if she's here or if a buddy of mine's there or whatever. And it's like, yeah, she's my wife. Yeah. So yeah. Money, right. My money is her money. Yeah, It's <laughs> already her money. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's already spent, son. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, man, for me, I, I don't care. Like if we get out there and we get a hit, then we got another one in us somewhere. You yeah. know, we'll go and we can figure out the details on that one. But yeah, for me, good, I'm like, attitude. man, yeah. I'm not greedy. I just want to, if we're making something, I've wrote more songs that will never leave the notebook, you know, that no one will ever hear. Yeah. And just hundreds of songs, thousands of songs. And so it's like, if we, shoot if you and me write a song and you want to release it mm-hmm. i'm like hell yeah Go like ahead. i ain't worried about it you know whatever it's gonna make because i know there's not a lot of money for independent guys and and stuff like that but yeah man if my song's out and i can show it to somebody and go yeah hey, I, I wrote on this mm-hmm. like that's that's gratification for enough for me man i we do well with live shows and you know there's money in streaming but i just uh I'm an analog man. Yeah. Living in this digital world, it's tough to kind of figure out how to. I know. I'm still paper track that down. Yeah, man. So, how do you? What's your favorite way to write? You just chill on your front porch or something with your guitar, or what do you? What do you like to do to kind of get in that mindset? Man, it's uh, it you know sometimes I have the least success when I say I'm going to sit down and write. Okay. I I drive a lot. We do a lot of miles. So, and I, I drive a lot during the day. Just uh doing different side hustles or whatever. Mm -hmm. And usually that's when ideas will come to me and I'll just, something will pop into my head and I'll or it'll be a melody or it'll be a a line or whatever. So I've got a notebook that's got just pages on pages of four lines that I've wrote. Then I make a voice recording. And then, so I'll go back and dig through those like on a day that I want to write. And I'm like, Oh, if I don't have any fresh ideas, let me just go down my list, listen to the, all the four liners. Right. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, that could be something. Or I'll write half a song one day. And then two months later be like, Oh yeah. Cause the thing is when you're writing a song, you play it over and over and over the first verse over and over. All right. What's the chorus look like? All right. We got a chorus, play it over and over and over. And I'll just get burnt out and I'll be like, man, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. This sucks. I'm tired of it already. And then, like I said, two months later, I'm like, oh, well, if I just did this or that, or if I changed the melody or changed the, you know, strum pattern even or whatever, it's like, this could be something cool. And, you know, some songs, they come to you like that. You write mm-hmm. them in 30 minutes. Some songs I've started and finished seven years later. Like yeah. it's. Well, I think all you can do is write your song, um, get it to a point where you like it and then put it out there and then from there it's up to the audience what, what they want to do with it whether they like it or not yeah and that's what a guy told me about podcasts and he was like look man don't get lost in there trying to edit this edit that he said man do your podcast have fun and when you think it's when you're happy with it just post it yeah and, and if people like it they'll listen to it and they'll keep listening to it and i really think that's all you can do absolutely I mean, don't stress there about oh man i wish i would have put another core you know something in there but and that's really important i think one of the biggest keys of being creative is having the time to get in the headspace to come up with things 
and like you said, you know, you're running around, driving a lot, working a lot, and uh, you, do you do a lot of stuff by yourself, just like odd jobs and stuff like that? Yeah, like yeah. Hustling. Yeah. I do too. And, dude, I, co- I come up with stuff all – like I've been thinking about things I wanted to talk to you about for the last month on mowing the grass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, man. I think it's important to – slowing down is a part of creativity for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the uh, all the guys in Nashville that are, you know, pro writers and have pub deals, they're writing three songs a day. Dang. And it's like, man, I, if I write three songs in a month, I'm pretty – taxed you know mentally to get Mm -hmm. three good songs but for them it's just man right 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 and those reps are beneficial to you as a writer but for me i'm like man i don't have that many ideas Um, yeah well at what point do you have to actually be kind of living life to get the uh, influence to write a song you know if you're just stuck in a writer's room all the time right i feel like you maybe would get like a little separated from like you know, some unique ideas or something. I feel like you got to kind of get out there a little bit and live a little life and maybe you'll get some more, you know, ideas. Absolutely. I know a lot of comedians do that. Yeah. They like purposely live in like a, in a house with like four other guys, like uh, Shane Gillis. Oh yeah. He still lives in like a townhome somewhere (laughs) with like four or five other guys living the bachelor life because he was like, this is comedy. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. This, this is how you create comedy is living, you know, living like that. But that's cool, man. That's impressive. I've never um I've never been able to talk to anybody that writes music and that's that seems like it's probably a natural talent. It's uh, uh you know, it's like anything else, man. Mm-hmm. You know, uh nobody knows how to do flat roofing when they're born and Yeah. You know, but I was lucky, like I said, I had the example of my dad and mm-hmm. um he wasn't a big songwriter, but just there was always a guitar out. There's always music being played. You know, yeah. he he could break down, you know, things in songs. He go, oh, you listen to that? We're listening to Boston. He goes, that's a Les Paul right there. And I'm like, how can you hear that? Yeah. You know. And now I'm around like guys that are huge gear freaks. I got one guy that plays with me, John Newsom, huge gear freak. So all the best amps, all yeah. the best guitar. I mean, this guy's got more money. And just his rig than probably what our bus costs <laughs> that he's bringing out on the road every week. I'm like, you're crazy. I mean, but. Blue Baca, baby, coming to a town near you. Blue Baca. That's, <laughs> That's a <right>. great name. <clears throat> when you when you reposted on there or said in that, I watched that video you put up. And yeah. Going through it. First of all, sick bus. Thank you very much, man. And you were yeah. like, I'll give somebody a Miller Holler hat if they can come up with a better name. And I was like trying to think. I was like, come on, man. I got to figure out. And I was like, no, that's the best. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> yeah, Blue Baca. And then I said, maybe maybe we'll call it like Big Baby Blue because it's just that light blue. And I said, and then we could just call it the Baby. Yeah. You know, we're taking the Baby this weekend. Blue's Clues, yeah. Yeah, man. man. But uh, she, we had her out on a maiden voyage this weekend, and I only had to work on it once. And, you know. So. That's, a, that's a win. Yeah. 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 Is it hard to drive that thing? Man, it, it took some getting used to. <laughs> We we drove up to Terre Haute, Indiana to pick it up, and I mean, I never drove a rig like that, you know. You don't and have to have a CDL, do you? No, yeah. and it's over 26,000 pounds, so, like, that's about Ooh. the threshold if you were running, like, commercial, you know, 26,000 pounds, you got to have CDL. Um, and even, you know, my wife, everybody who gets in it with me, like, hey, do you have to, like, have a license to drive this? I'm like, nah, they'll just, like, you just drive it, but... uh 
I love driving it, man. Like yeah. when, when I get out of music, you know, and my kids are out of the house or whatever, and yeah. Amy's sick of me, I'll probably be a bus driver. <laughs> um, I love driving it. That's yeah. cool, man. I I can just imagine myself in the turning lane, about to turn left, and you know when somebody's in the other turning lane and they pull up past the damn line. Oh yeah. I I would just. I could imagine the panic in my, in my and, and and that's like <clears throat> the biggest thing is like all right don't panic don't worry about what like who's behind you honking like who's yeah. wanting who's flipping you the bird like just say hey I've got to drive this thing and keep us safe and keep everybody else safe so yeah. you just take it slow I mean if you got to wait for another red light you just wait yeah. you know you don't get in a hurry with it yeah and. uh yeah, you know, Amy's like, you, you know how to drive this? I'm like, yeah, I watched three YouTube videos. Oh, like, yeah, man. Yeah, we got I'm good. This. I'm good. Yeah. I've only hit one curb, so. Yeah. If I know. can find a YouTube video on something, <clears throat> I feel pretty confident, you know. Yeah, that's how I, I learn everything. I mean, the technology that we have at our fingertips now, just, I mean, anything. Like, I work on, I try to work on my own vehicles and trucks and stuff. Yeah. Just because, you know, I don't want to spend that much money on a mechanic and i have a one of my best friends is a really talented mechanic and he does anything serious but man you can you can get on there and pretty much learn about how to do almost anything i mean we're you know we're building a rock crawler and uh sweet we've been working on that since 2019 but it was probably about 2016 i had a real issue with my truck the water pump seized up and the fan that's on the front of the motor is attached to that water pump so when the pulley seized the fan just kept going and snapped off uh, chewed up the radiator shot out the fender ooh. chewed up like a bunch of stuff under there so i had to replace all kinds of parts i took it to midas had it towed to midas and said what's this going to cost it's 2200 dollars." i'm like dude i do not have this money no so i start to looking okay water pumps 150 bucks i can get a radiator for 200 bucks uh i found a fender at the pull apart for 50 bucks that was already the same color as the truck and you know, with tools and everything. And I learned how to just change all that stuff out. And it cost me 600 bucks. Yeah. So I said, <clears throat> instead of investing, <clears throat> excuse me, you good? instead of investing in more mechanic bills, cause I've always had, you know, a truck, wife's car, band van, mm. some kind of dumb vehicle that doesn't run, you mm. know, yeah. you know, I had two non running Volvos in the driveway at one point. But I bought, you know, got them on a deal. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I was like, I'd rather invest in the tools and the education yeah. to figure this stuff out. Cause why am I like, it doesn't make sense to go and pay somebody to do that stuff. Yeah. That's a good attitude to have. Uh, a lot of my buddies are like that, you know, try to do things on their own. And I don't really think that, I mean, unless you just make a lot of money, but even then, like you're not ever really going to have anything cool if you're not willing to kind of learn and do it yourself yeah i mean you can't you can't pay somebody to do everything and then and for me like i don't want to always be trying to schedule and work with somebody else's time or day for them to come to my house or me to go there and to work on something that i could just do on sunday afternoon absolutely man so it was like this i mean i could have got a contractor to come build this thing and i was like man like i'm just gonna do it when i have time i'm just gonna hustle and do it yeah and I just don't feel like you're ever going to have everything you want if you're just always banking on somebody else doing it for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm, yeah. I'm with you, man. I mean, you know, Walmart, for example, three miles from my house, if I take my truck down to get an oil change, which I'll never do again, um, 
you know, they're going to, number one, probably put the wrong oil filter on or torque down the dang, you know, filler bolt or whatever, you know, oil drain bolt. Bro. Or, you know, and it's going to take three hours to do it. Oh, we got two cars in front of you. It's going to be a four-hour wait. I'm like, to change two cars oil? You, so, and then you're just lost. You're just in the toy section of Walmart looking at Yeah. You do, I've looked at everything in the store. I don't know what else to yeah, Right. <laughs> now I'm going to go spend $70 in Walmart oh, on yeah. stuff I don't need and, you know. Yeah. And, and waste half a day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, stuff like that, man, you know, rotating tires. If I can do it at the house, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to do my best to do it. And, good, uh, but good. yeah, like the rock crawler, you know, you, like you said, you can't do everything. Um, we were able to do a lot on it, but when it came time to do like a roll cage, I yeah. was like, you know what? Not a fabricator. I'm going to, I'm going to waste yeah. $2,000 worth of tube before I even get oh, yeah. decent at this. Yeah. And then it still ain't going to be all the way right. So, you know, I got, I've, I've outsourced some things on it. And mm-hmm. Yeah, man. The, so rock crawler it, I got a lot of friends that do like the the razors and the all those kind of stuff. I've always said because like the Polaris razors and the Kawasaki's and they're so expensive, man. They're like almost twenty grand for a new one. And I've always been like, if I'm gonna pay that much, I'm gonna just like go buy a Jeep or something. That yeah. makes more sense to me. Yeah. Now these razors, hell, all people do is ride them on the road now for the most part around here. Yeah. People rarely, or most people I know, rarely put them on a trailer and go riding anymore. They just run around to buddies' houses and stuff. Right. I'm it's, like, buy a Jeep. It's a real fast golf cart. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. So that's cool. Which they are super capable. I'm not dogging razors at all. I've they're seen sick. some razors. Oh, they're sick. I've seen some dudes on like 35 inch tires and razors following Jeeps on 43s. And Absolutely. it's like, that, yeah. okay, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, no, this is cool. My father-in-law goes, and I used to go with him, and it's fun, man. It, they're, they are a blast. I'm still <clears> stuck <throat> in four-wheeler land over here, as you can tell. But yeah, you know, one of these days when, when my daughter Sunny gets a little bigger, I'll, I'll probably get some kind of four-seat or something so we can take her. She loves riding stuff. so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's in my future. I'm a big boat guy right now, but I feel oh, like yeah. my future is – it's coming towards that kind of stuff, rock crawling and all that. So well, and that's what I told Amy because our Jeep's only a two seater. You know, we we cut the frame right behind the doors, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just all tubed out, and <clears throat> there's enough room for like a toolbox and a fuel cell. Yeah. So you know, then the baby's on the way, and so I said to her, I said, "You think we can get a razor on the car hauler behind, like in front of the Jeep?" I said. Go go find you a razor that you want, and you and the boy can ride in that, and we'll nice. still all be able to go, you know. But, nice. Uh, Heck yeah, man. Money, 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 man. Yeah, you, know? you can put a car seat in them things. I've I've seen people put car seats in them. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I was, I was like, maybe I can just mount a seat back here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. I love it. I love when people have cool hobbies like that, but... Anyways, I don't want to get lost. We'll be out here talking. I, I know, man. I, I can talk, <laughs> I talk that stuff all day. But I was just kind of curious... Um, I know you came down here with your original first band and guys. So how exactly did you get like your foot into playing it somewhere like the wild horse or old red? Like, did they just like notice you playing at other spots or? Uh, no, it's, it's actually really difficult, man. Um, I bet it is. We had a couple of managers at, at the beginning of our run here in Nashville and, 
you know, we got to a point where we were playing the same venues, traveling on the road, staying busy, but not really expanding our reach. So we reached out to the manager, said, hey, do you know anybody in the booking world? And so the booking agent we were with at the time we got hooked up with, um, they were in with the wild horse. And so usually that's how like venues like that, you got to have some kind of representation. You know, you got to have somebody to vouch for you. And even still, they said, hey, these guys are great. They play everywhere. They do all this stuff, this, that, and the other. Um, and we still had to go audition. We sat with the lady who hires the bands in, a, in one of the back rooms. Just two of us had acoustics, and then four of us, you know, were in there. We were all there singing harmonies. And we did, like, three songs, and they were like, okay, yeah, we'll let you do this. And it's nice. like, God, just the most stressful like most stripped down you know when you're on stage oh, and you yeah. got the guitars ripping and drums behind you and bass is thumping man like you just run around what i like to just sit calls showing off yeah you're just show, putting on oh, a show you definitely seem high energy i've i've watched i've been putting your stuff on youtube and you know keeping up with you on social media and it looks like y'all have a good time man man like they're jamming dude yeah it's our favorite thing to do with clothes on you know yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah i love it it's uh I love it. yeah man we have a blast and like I said, I've got a great bunch of guys right now that are just energetic and love playing music. Yeah. And y'all go all out, man. That, that that banner is sick that y'all got hanging behind you and all yeah, that. Yeah, thanks, man. So it looks like y'all put a lot of work into your setup and you know the optics and everything. That's cool. Well, and that's the nice thing about Wild Horse. That's that's they're doing. You know, I mm -hmm. I just I send them the artwork, man, and they've got the fifty foot screen behind you, and oh, the yeah. two huge screens on the side. Put your video yeah. up. Yeah. It, Somebody told me this a few years ago. They said, you're only as big as the stage you're on. Mm. And so, like, I always try to publicize those those wild horse shows, those opening slots. But, you know, if we're playing at a coffee shop somewhere, yeah, I might not make that as public. We're the same guys. We're the same band. You know, there's no more or less talent than when we're at the wild horse. But mm. from a, you know, perception is reality in this business. So if somebody sees, oh, okay, well, you know, my cousin Johnny plays at the coffee shop, you know, and he's a whatever. He's an electrician. Yeah. So you want to really portray yourself in the position that you want to be in, you know, and that's a, that's a big deal. A lot of people get carried away with that. A lot of people are, you know, they say fake it till you make it. I always just, you know, try and be as honest as we can. But a lot of guys are out here just, they'll buy 100,000 Instagram followers, 100,000, you know, Spotify streams, whatever. Like, oh, look what we're doing. And it's like, then, then when it comes time to hire those guys at a venue and they sell 10 tickets of people that were already coming anyways and were hesitant to spend $10 because they don't know yeah who this guy is playing you know it, it your whole story falls apart so that fake it till you make it thing mm, i'm not really <clears throat> i think in today's time people are craving authenticity more than absolutely ever. people want people to be themselves they don't want to see no fake stuff so i think that's really not mm -hmm. gonna and, and ultimately you're looking for longevity in whatever you're doing anything and how hard is it to just like constantly not be yourself that doesn't really seem like that's sustainable in any Man, industry, really. It's and it's torture. It really is. Um, yeah. You know, the last band I was in, we were doing like real heavy radio country, like real and heavy as in like what's hitting at the time, which I've never really been into. Um, 
you know, and it just felt so unnatural to me. I'm like, I don't really vibe with what these songs are doing. Our lead singer at the time, he was our the main songwriter in that group, and uh, and he's got great songs, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and he's had success after Adair's run, and and you know he should. He's got he's a good songwriter, but it's just like man, songs about being sad over a girl or whatever. Like I I don't relate to that. Like I've I'm an adult now. Like I'm not writing these these songs that are like relatable with teenagers and stuff. Like okay, mm-hmm. I remember that, but I don't live back there. Like I'm you know I'm looking at the future. I'm looking at what I got now, which is a great relationship, a great wife, and mm-hmm. you know and. Um, you know, we've worked hard to get there, but that's not sexy. You and know, there's some artists out there. I don't think they write songs that are not about a girl. Yeah. I'm like, man, you're really kicking the dead horse on. The it's like it's part of that formula. Chasing you know? women thing. Yeah, that's like part of the formula. And yeah. uh, I no, I really like your uh, your stuff. Don't sell a farm. That's a good song. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. man, you got. I like. I was uh, I was listening to your music yesterday when I was mowing the yard, and I like all the all the themes and and all your songs tell a story yeah thanks man so that's that's cool man and and you know some of them like uh we've got a song whatever you want and then another song stuck those were kind of written like let's write a hit let's write a song for the radio yeah i mean no Um, it's not like you can't write those songs yeah it's just you don't need to do 40 of them (laughs) right you know but yeah like don't sell the farm man we uh sick video by the way thank you very much i I looked at it yesterday it's over 113,000 views on youtube congratulations which i mean you know that doesn't sound like a lot in today's world it does to me (laughs) but yeah i mean you know we i've put no money behind promoting that um it's all been organic rfd tv had us on and and that kind of boosted it and they've Mm -hmm. been posting about it but uh yeah and then just the farmers in the communities that have heard it you know they're taking it to the farm bureau meetings and like all these you know conventions and they're Mm -hmm. hey y'all should get behind this song so it's it's been a really organic growth but um yeah we're actually planning on doing a music video or a a full-length documentary incorporated with a tour and uh, the goal is to go play about 20 or 30 farm towns, make the shows completely free. So get some kind of like John Deere or Tractor Supply corporate backer to pay us what it's going to cost to put the show on. We've got an amazing documentary maker right now who's got three documentaries out on Netflix. And uh, he's interested in maybe collaborating with us. And if we can bring him on the road, film uh, you know, the shows, the tour, and mo- most, most importantly, get the stories of the people in these towns, the people that are working these farms, mm-hmm. um, and shed light on that because uh, it's like less than 50% of American family farmers have made a profit in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's too And bad. it's getting really bad. We're getting, you know, corporate farming, and, and China's buying up a lot of farmland now. And yeah. Bill Gates and uh, yeah, Bill Gates, and it's like Douchebag. for for these guys that have been doing it for yeah, you know, a hundred years, family farms, and now they're at a point where, I mean, you know, they're suffering depression, suicide rates are up. Uh, seeing what their their dad, their granddad, and his dad before him built, mm-hmm. and now it's like, well, they want to put a subdivision here. We ain't turned a profit in ten years. What am I? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, and. Uh, so it's it's really sad and and like i said we've toured all over the midwest and met some of these folks over the years and become pretty good friends with them and uh and just to hear their stories like number one this is a different breed of human 
Um, I think I'm tough. I think I know how to do stuff until I'm next to a farmer and there's a combine with a 72-inch tire on it. And I'm like, how do you change that tire? They're like, oh, we go get the crane truck and just change it in the field wherever it is. I'm like, oh, my. Like, dude, I can't even. And, Mm. I I mean, I I used to change semi-truck tires and dump truck tires for a living. And changed a tractor tire one time and that's about yeah it's all the fun you can handle isn't it it was a workout for the day yeah Yeah. (laughs) so and i mean these guys you know they got to do that and then go throw 50 bales of hay or whatever it is and and it's not a guaranteed paycheck no it's not no i mean so rising input costs diesels fertilizer seed um the equipment everything has gone up in the last three years especially yeah but they're not able to sell for that much more and uh, you know, like farmers I said, farmers used to also. I feel like they used to rely on a lot of uh, young men working on the farm. You know, in the area, helping bale hay or just farm hands in general. And uh, I know a couple of farmers in the area, and farm hands are really hard to come across now. People don't want to do that. Yeah, they can go make fifteen bucks at KFC, and you know they don't really want to work outside in the heat or the cold. And so a lack of help is a big issue with farming too. They're not they're not getting near the help that they need. Well, and and that's a testament too. I mean, to the whole mentality and mindset people our age and younger um you know, we're very disconnected to where our food comes from. We're disconnected from that way of life. Mm-hmm. Every farmer that I've talked to, they always say it keeps me close to the land, it keeps me close to God, it keeps me close to my family. And if we all lived a little more like that, you know, we might not have as much mental health issues. We might not have as much depression. We might not have as much, you know, just this anxiety that's like just overtaking the country. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not using our bodies. We're not producing anything. We're not seeing any progress, you know. I was watching a documentary or something recently, and they were talking about, you know, the depression and people turn to pills and stuff to try to fix it or therapy or whatever and they said they looked at uh amish communities and like mennonite communities and there's no adhd there's no depression there's no you know opioid use to make you know there's no xanax or whatever people take to calm themselves down uppers downers Mm -hmm. um it doesn't exist and it's like well they don't yeah I think I think exercise is really important for staying in a good mindset. You need to make you need to tire your body out every day. I think it clears your head out mentally and you know, I could see why farmers are some of the, you know, mentally strong and healthy people cuz man, they just don't got time for all the BS really. Yeah. Um I mean, you know, and and like I said like progress, you know, those Amish guys, they're out there raising a barn. Well, you build a barn in a day and, mm. and, or a piece of furniture or whatever it is, you churn butter for three hours and you got something at the end of it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I don't want to talk bad about other professions. You know, I wasn't, uh, born to work in a cubicle. I don't think you were either. No. Uh-uh. Um, I would rather dig post holes up and down this driveway all day than sit in a cum- uh, cubicle and, oh. and type numbers. But, you know, some people they don't mind that, but some people they're living they're living like a silent life of desperation, man. But that's all they know. You know, they make money, they gotta have money to, you know, send their kids to school or whatever they wanna do and they just get stuck in that. Yeah. yeah. I've been stuck. I I worked in the Nissan plant in Smyrna for like two and a half years and I quickly realized like I've got to get out of here. Yeah. Or I or I'm gonna be twenty five years in 
you know, and then you're stuck and factory life and all those kind of stuff. It's just not for me. No, um, I, I agree. If that, if school taught me anything, it's that I do not want to show up at the same place at the same time <laughs> and do the same thing every day. It like I, I, oh my gosh, dude, I hated that about school, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the way schools now, the way they're structured and the government has got it going. It's really not the best learning environment. Nah, it's we're really not. we're probably gonna homeschool the boy just because. That's awesome. You know, I mean, if we send him to Cheatham County, you know, he's not gonna get the best education. If we send him to the city, God knows what they're gonna teach him. You know, and yeah. if we send him to private school, well, there's twenty grand a year that. Oh, I, it's more than college. Know, yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't he's, make sense. And even and yeah. even that is not safe now. You know. No. We've seen just with the shooting here. Whenever that was, I guess, what, earlier this year? Or, mm-hmm. Man, I mean, just devastating. And it's like, dude, I'm already a warrior, you know, mm-hmm. and not even something that I want to think about. But. But I'll tell you what, I was homeschooled. My mom homeschooled. I have two brothers, and she homeschooled all of us until we went to high school. She couldn't, she couldn't rein us in anymore in high school. We had to go. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to play sports, you know, stuff like that. But. Yeah. Man, it's a good upbringing, and you know I'm not behind or anything, so it's a it's a good option. I think a lot of people are are doing that now in the wake of like you know mass shootings. And man, they're also letting these kids do wild stuff. We yeah, were at, we were at some friends' houses, and they were telling us how they're these their girls are middle school age, ones in high school. And I made a joke about like yeah, all these kids are identifying as whatever they want now. And they were like, yeah, we have some furries at our school. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, there's kids that come every day dressed up in like a furry outfit with a tail. And they only communicate with meows or barks. And I said, so you're telling me. I said, first of all, I thought that was not real. Yeah. You see this stuff online and you don't really know. Yeah, you're like, it's not in my community. That's in California, right? Right, yeah. It's not here. And they were like, yeah, so like the teacher will call on them and they'll like respond with like a bark or something. Dude, and, and like this is what I'm saying. It don't matter. It doesn't matter how well you raise your kids. They're gonna be around some other kids that have dumbass parents God. that let them do this stuff. I don't understand how you could let your kid do that. So it's like I'm not gonna go send my kid eight hours a day to somewhere where you know. I mean, even if they're not dressed up as furries, whatever stupid ideas that their parents may have, which I don't know everything, but I know how I want to raise my kids. Like I believe in traditional American values, small town values that I was raised with, which anymore, if you stand by those, you're a, a racist, a sexist, a bigot, what insert ist, whatever ist you are. It's like, dude, I'm just a guy who wants to be left alone and raise my kids to do no right from wrong mm-hmm. and be productive, be helpful and work, hard. And, and work hard. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. I get tripped up because I'm like, I didn't, how is it um, controversial to just like make sure my daughter knows that she is a girl. Right. And she's always going to be a girl. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'm a man and I'm going to be a man and I want you to be a girl and I'm going to be, how is that controversial? It's, it's insane to me. <clears throat> that we're trying to convince. Yeah, when I was a kid, I thought I was a lot of stuff. I thought I was a cop. You know, I used to pretend I was James Bond a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'd just be wearing like, you know, a G.I. Joe outfit. Or When I was real little, I thought I was Davy Crockett for real. I wore the coonskin hat and the whole. Yeah. Look, man, but you can't, you can't like uh, convince your kids that, you know, there's something they're not. 
Well, and it's like, you know, I saw a video the other day of a mom asking a little girl, like, you know, you could be a boy if you want. And mm -hmm. she goes, do you feel like a boy? And she goes, I don't know. Sometimes I think I feel like a boy. And I'm thinking, all right, this is a nine-year-old girl. How does she know what a boy feels like? How does she know what it feels like to be a boy? Like, you know, and, and the parents that are perpetuating this stuff, it's like your virtue signaling. I get it. You're down with whatever's happening in the world today, but like you don't need to be forcing this stuff on your kids. If you're, and dude, and here's the thing, you know, if I, now that I've said that and it's on the internet forever, somebody's gonna say, oh, that guy's a bigot. He's a sexist. He's a transphobe. Okay. No. And it's like, here's the thing. I don't care what you do as an adult. I don't either. Dress in a dress as a man. I don't care. I mean, you know, these are below the line issues, but when you start like, telling kids hey you know you could be whatever you want to be when you grow up yeah. like i said like if i send my kid to school and then somebody else's kid says do you know you could be a girl or a boy or whatever you want to be and now my kid's going to come home and ask me about this stuff mm -hmm. like no you can't i'll say you know that's that's not right like here's the difference we'll pull out an anatomy map and trust mm -hmm. the actual science yeah uh, <laughs> well, i think <clears throat> i don't know real woke people they get confused I think they get confused because w when the rubber meets the road really is when people mess with children. And I think most of America is like that. The vast majority is like that. They don't want children being messed with. For example, Bud Light really just dropped the bag because they came out with a, you know, Dylan Mulvaney did the can thing um, as an influencer in the wake of a trans person shooting up a school in Nashville Worst timing of all time. Right. Um, did I really care that they put, they made like six cans with a trans person on there? No, I don't really care. But you did that in the wake of, you know, a mass shooting in a school in the Southeast, and people are not going to ride with that, man. Right. And it's just, like you said, if you're an adult and you want to dress up as a drag queen or, or whatever you want to do and pretend... I don't care. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Just stay away from my children and stay away from me. I mean, dude, for <laughs> real. Like, hey, I've been, you know, I've gotten pulled into gay bars and, yeah, and been to drag shows. And, hey, it's great. Like, y'all are having a good time. It's here. It's a Saturday night. We're in a contained area. Like, do get weird as you want. I hey, care. I am all for getting yeah. weird if you want. Yeah. You know, I've got family members that are gay. I got friends that are gay. I don't care. Yeah. I love you, and I hope that's that you're happy. That's but how most people are. That is how most people yeah. are, you know. But if you say we don't want it in our schools, well, now you're a transphobe. And it's like, no, dude, I, I, these are children. Yeah. You know, they sex should not be a topic of discussion, at least until they're hitting puberty, you no. know. No. And, uh, and anymore, it's just like, man, like these are very moldable minds. Uh, kids we live in a very victim society. So if a kid is kind of outcast or weird or whatever, getting picked on or whatever, now they can say, well, I'm actually trans and I'm seeing this a lot as well. And so now the kid is trans. Well, now they're, now they're off limits. You can't pick on these kids. Not that you should pick on any kids, mm -hmm. but it's like, now I'm a, you know, I have a voice to stand up and, and they well, use and also that. They're a part of a group now. And that, right. When and, they weren't. and now that group, is doing the bullying. Now they're online calling me a bigot and a mm. sexist and telling me I have white privilege as a cis male or whatever. And I'm like, y'all have lost your damn minds. Like, yeah. I, you know, 
yeah. y- now you guys are, are the bullies. You have become the aggressor mm-hmm. and no one was putting any aggression towards you. You know, like, like I said, yeah. I mean, if you're gay, dude, I had gay friends my whole life. I got fraternity yeah. brothers. Like it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I it's, don't care. It's not really <laughs> not my business to judge. And, um, so I don't, yeah, as long as it doesn't mess with me at all, I don't, I could care less. Right. You know, but I mean, but, but it's the kids. I think that's where people, you know, I saw a thing where they had like pride day at a school and all the teachers wearing rainbow stuff, unicorns, had the whole deck school decked out. And, Ooh. you know, a buddy of mine said, what else do they do this for? Mm-hmm. Do they do this for Black History Month? Do they do this for the Super Bowl? Do they do this for Easter or like, you know, like. What else are they making such a huge ruckus about that they want everybody to be on board with, you know? And, and it's like it, nothing. That's, and that's where it's like, why, why this? Yeah. What is the, what is, like, what's behind this? Yeah, I mean, why are we so consumed with this right now? Right. Pol- politics, man. It's, have you ever noticed, like, a certain um, – like the Nashville scene, the Nashville machine, all that. Do you, is it? Is there a certain political? Is it? Is Nashville real political? Like the music industry down there? It's very, uh, very left leaning. Yeah. Which, you know, I consider myself a libertarian, yeah. which is basically, do what you want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want, but your rights end where my rights begin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to shoot heroin, do it. I don't care, but not on the street when I'm going to be walking with my wife and you're passed out with a needle in your arm, you know, laying in your own crap. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I have an issue with it. Yeah. But it's very left-leaning in Nashville. Do not have an opinion that is against whatever the, the you know, flavor of the day is. Um, and I get labeled a right-wing extremist a lot because <laughs> – I'm just a guy, like I said, I have... Well, it doesn't take much to be labeled that. Yeah, like, I saw a thing the other day. If you are heavy into exercise, that's a trait of uh, white supremacy and right-wing extremism. And I'm like, dude, you know, so uh, most of the guys in my band either are not political or are Mm left-leaning. And they're all great guys. Um, We all get along because we're we're people, you know. And I'm not going to say just because you think this or that, we can't be friends, Mm -hmm. you know. I've seemed to always have gotten along with people on both sides. And I think it's because I'm always walking a tightrope between the right and the left. Mm -hmm. And really, like, my main theme, I'm not not into politics really either, especially I don't get into it on social media at all. I never have because I think it's just an echo chamber in there. But I've always said – I don't. I think the government should stay out of most things, yeah. unless um, it's going to harm someone else. I believe in basic laws. You know, I believe there should be a speed limit in neighborhoods and yeah, and simple stuff to make every the society safe. Um, just because necessarily I don't agree with something, I don't think it should be illegal. Um, I don't think the government should just be illegal, illegal on every single thing. But as long as it's not hurting somebody or, or something like that, then I'm like, well, the government shouldn't tell you you can't do it. Uh, yeah. I may not personally agree with it, but that isn't that doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Right. And yeah. and they have us fighting right now. Yeah. I feel like they just they create this division. It's the easiest way to control a population. 
divide and conquer. Yeah. This is day one, you know, war tactics. And they get us caught up on these below-the-line issues, the Dylan Mulvaney's, the Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not for abortion. Um, I wouldn't want my wife to have one. But at the same time, I don't know what situation somebody else is in. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't live that person's life. And at the end of the day, we've all got sins that we're going to have to pay for. Oh, yeah. So my sins may just look different than yours. Mm-hmm. And who am I to judge? You know, I don't care. So to say I'm going to vote for this political party because of this issue, like that doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you want to go have a thousand abortions, like we probably didn't need your dumbass kid anyways. Yeah. Um, what yeah. I do care about is all whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian or non-affiliated, all of us work on this tax farm. All of us generate tax dollars to our politicians. Mm-hmm. And I still hit two foot, pothole, two foot deep potholes in Nashville. Yeah. I still am paying outrageous health insurance. And every time I go to the hospital, there's an outrageous bill to follow along with it. Like, you know, we still don't have enough police. Our teachers are making, what, $35,000 a year. Bro, if the money was going to the people that mattered, the mm-hmm. people that pushed society forward and, and actually created a better life for us. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an issue that I care about. Like, what are you going to do about the taxes? Where is all this money going? I see that Barack Obama has a $12.8 million estate off of a $400,000 presidential salary. Yeah. So it's odd. It's odd, you know, and then I got people, my left-wing buddies, oh, well, he writes books, he does speaking things and all this. I'm like, yeah, okay, so he's using a celebrity, that's cool. Look, I'm all for people going out and getting their bag. Like, make your money. It's insider trading, though. There is, I mean, how is Nancy Pelosi a better stock trader than Warren Buffett? She's not. You know, it's it's insider trading. And And, uh, now more than ever, they really just kind of do it in front of your face and they don't, I don't really think they think that, you know, they, you might hear a little chatter about it and, but they're never put in a situation where they actually have to answer to this stuff. Right. So I don't think they really care that, you know, or they run or they, you know, when, when you do ask, okay, that's enough. No, I'm not, yeah. never. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what she did. Yeah. Push never. the mic away. Never have I insider traded. Oh, Shut up. dude, it's crazy. And that's the thing. Like we, they keep us so divided because if, if everybody was on the same page and saying, look at what they're doing to all of us, yeah. you know, we're all Americans here, mm-hmm. regardless of what you believe. Obviously people in middle Tennessee are going to have different beliefs than people in California or Washington state. It's the beauty of states though. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like to have laws that we all have to abide by. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, that needs to be at a state or even local level. I mean, in Nashville, if they want to say, hey, we're going to outlaw guns. Well, in Murfreesboro, it's a totally different lifestyle. Yeah. You know, why is that law, even just town to town, gonna going to, like, transcribe like that? So, $36 billion to Ukraine so far, man. I mean, you know and what I mean? So, How many other countries' tax dollars get sent here for our problems? Yeah, none. You know? They, um, the other day, what's her name? Um, Tulsi Gabbard? Yeah. She was saying that uh, the damage in Maui for all the houses and the businesses that have been burnt down to repair all that, it would cost about... 
$5 billion is what they're estimating it. Um, the United States government accidentally sent $6 billion to Ukraine. So... It's like, how do you make those mistakes? Hey, do we have time for a quick pee break? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. I got to pee, too. Can I go out back your... Sh- oh, I'm not on that level yet. Dude, when I was in high school, I uh, did the, went through this little thing, and I dipped every flavor, every brand. And there used to be some kind of uh, brand called, like, Kayak or something oh, like yeah. that. And Kayak Grape was probably... The worst one I ever came across. Yeah, I was going to say, I was not a fan of the grape. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're 15, putting a big lip in, you're like, oh, daggum, boy, I'm bad, dude. Yep. But anyways, man, hey, how do you pronounce your last name? Polyphrone. Polyphrone. Yeah. All right, Haynes Polyphrone for 2024, man. Let's go, baby. But, but yeah, we were talking about Maui. Um, that has been the biggest just shit show I mean, took Biden two weeks to get down there. The people are pissed. They can't get back to their properties. They're not allowing them in. Yeah. And there's one. there was an older gentleman I saw an interview with. He said, hey, I have a safe, like a gun safe in my house. And I got guns in it, and I got a lot of money and jewelry. And I need to go in there and check on that. And, he, and they were like, well, you know, why do you need in there? It's, it, it should be there. And he's like, well, y'all are letting, like, workers and, like, teams in there and he was like who's what if somebody gets in my safe yeah and i just don't understand how you can tell americans that they can't um go back to their their houses i mean i don't care if they're burnt down or not it's your property man it is like the most unjust thing that's happened to american citizens and you know i don't know if you've ever been to hawaii have you been down there no man we want to go but so we we took our honeymoon down there and uh they you know, they like tourists. They like, I'll say this, they like tourism, but they're not huge on tourists. They depend on tourism. Right. It's kind of like Nashville, you know, like I hate sitting in traffic, but I realize, okay, these people are here to come see us play and give us money. And this is how I pay my, my bills, you know. Um, but, you know, we were sitting at a restaurant in uh, Hawaii. And as we left, there was an old man on a bar stool who just flipped us the bird, gave us the shittiest look ever. And Man, we sat in the back of this restaurant, quiet, kept to ourselves. You know, we we yeah. we didn't drink uh, on our honeymoon. We were on a like a no drinking there for a few years, and um, not not acting a fool or anything. And it was just like they saw us as you're the reason why this place has turned into Disneyland. And I'm like, dude, I, I get it. You know, yeah. I get it. But you know, so they already are not huge on being American. You know, they they were fine being Hawaii. And so now that it's time for America to step up and take care of our own and we're not, it's like, dude, I get it. Like, I understand your frustration and you should be frustrated. And then when you hear all of the things, you know, all of, I'll say air quotes, conspiracy theories about these fires being started Mm -hmm. and, you know, what do you think about that? I've, I've, I've gotten in there a little bit. I think it's strange. I think it's, a strange coincidence that we're having so many coincidences since COVID. I think there's been a lot of wildfires and I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a video of a guy on CNN. It's one of those ones where they catch him on like a hidden camera and they send him out on a date with some chick and then they get a little drunk and they want to tell all the secrets. And he goes, this was during COVID. And he's, yeah, that COVID ticker at the top of the screen, like the higher that number gets, it's like, all right, like that means our ratings are going up. And then, 
she said the girl that was on the date with the hidden camera goes so what's like what's the next thing and he goes the next thing will be global warming that's what we're really gonna and you then, know ramp up and and that'll be like you know the next and then now uh, we're having all these wildfires so now we're having all these wildfires now we're having all these you know okay, crazy do you, do you, acts of yeah i just natural disasters right do you remember as a kid ever um I don't ever remember there being like a bad air quality thing. No. Now, I'm sure you've noticed the air quality sometimes on mm-hmm. certain days. It'll say on the weather now. It's like a certain section of the weather app where it's like air quality, bad. Being outside is like smoking two packs of cigarettes today. And you're like, what? Right. And then you're like, and then you look into it and it's from, you know, naturally the air moving down from up north and or wherever, California. And it's like the smoke and the haze in the air. I'm like, yeah, what a way to, what a way for people to get on board with your narrative. Well, and a lot of these forest fires, they're now finding out, are set by these, like, Antifa people. And, like, all these people that are pushing for, you know, mm-hmm. climate change and climate, climate activists. So it's like you're creating a situation to perpetuate your narrative because it's not happening fast enough. It's not happening at a rate quick enough. And... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, people want to blame it on, oh, it's cow farts that are destroying. Like, you need to start being a vegan. I have been all over this country, and I have never seen a smog cloud over a farm of any kind. So, you know, then you go look at L.A., and people are just living in a cesspool, I mean, on top of each other. And it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. But here's the real thing. Automobiles aside, wildfires aside... You still, if, you still can't stop the factories in India, the factories in China that are blowing out black plumes of smoke 24 hours a day. Yeah. We all live on the same earth. I mean, you don't think that has something to do about it? A lot of other countries, too, just dump their waste into the ocean. I mean, I saw in uh, Kuwait the other day, they were uh, burning 42 million tires. Good. A Ooh. black cloud of smoke the likes of which i've never seen and these tires were just out in the desert and they said it started accidentally or whatever but it's like man i don't know if you've ever set a tire on fire but like getting tire rubber to set is it's not easy you're not just going to hold a, a match to it you know no i mean they're flame resistant up to a pretty substantial point yeah man that's wild um they were talking about the alarm system and um, so Hawaii has one of the most uh, advanced, like, alert systems for their citizens. Just because of uh, tsunamis and, um, you know, hurricanes and different stuff like that. And they did not send out an alert to the Maui citizens at all, warning them. And they asked their, like, the mayor or the county guy or whatever why that was. And he said, well... We were scared because when people get that alert, that they automatically run towards the hills because they think it's a tsunami coming, and we didn't want people running towards the fire, so we didn't send them out. Apparently, that's BS. Yeah. They can, they can put whatever they want to on the alert. It goes to everyone's phone. It's a monthly alert. They yeah. Like, this is a very common practice in, in Hawaii. Didn't do it. Um, he didn't even show his face up until, like, two weeks after the fires and stuff like that. And it just seems real fishy, man. And FEMA's turning away supplies, like citizens who are trying to bring in help, and they're turning these people away. They're, t- you know, it's like what? And the, um, I guess the governor of Hawaii, in his, in his opening statement, 
addressing the disaster. He talks about the state repossessing the land. How wild is that to you? So in uh, earlier this year, they had a smart, smart city conference in Maui. They talked about how Lahaina was historic historical town. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be built on. It couldn't be rebuilt. And but they have plans for this smart city, 15 minute city, right? And then eight months later, keep hearing that 15 minute cities. Eight months later, the part that they want is now burnt down. Mm-hmm. They've lifted the real estate real estate restrictions. So, like, all the permitting and stuff, that they're going to fast-track that just to get back on their feet, do what's right for the community. Well, mm-hmm. what they're going to do is price all these people out, and they're not going to be able to afford the place that they have lived their whole lives. Um, you know, you've got Oprah on there asking for donations. Oprah said, yeah, I've already committed $10 million. Mm-hmm. Well, committing $10 million and giving $10 million is not the same. She has committed $10 million that she's asking for you and me to donate to this fund, and that's where the $10 is going to come from. We're getting into, like, the Johnny Depp trial when that girl kept saying, I pledged it. Right, and yeah. And like, pledge and actually donating is right. different. And you're like, no, it's the same thing. So if you want to get into some real kooky stuff, um, <laughs> the blue roofs. The blue roofs, the blue umbrellas that didn't catch fire. Um, apparently, a certain shade of blue is resistant to uh, the direct energy weapons. Mm. So I don't know how much you know about this stuff. So A little bit. I've stuck my toe in there. So but. the direct energy weapons can be fired from space. It's a laser. It's not like a red laser like what you think of. It's, it's literally invisible. You never see it, but they can set fires with them. They can destroy tanks with them. They can destroy anti-aircraft with them from space. You would never, ever even see it. Well, those lasers are basically ineffective on a certain shade of blue. So all these celebrities whose homes didn't burn down on Maui all had these blue roofs. Dang. They like Oprah has like I forget how many acres of land, like eighteen hundred acres of land yeah. untouched. How did this happen? Really? And now she's asking for donations. And it's like you're a billionaire. Like, you know, what are you putting up? Sounds like they want to build a couple more Four Seasons, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean... Who has blue roofs anyways? That's what I'm saying, That's not man. a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's... You know, there's a lot of coincidences. The same guy who was overseeing the Vegas shooting was overseeing the Maui fires. Um, Is that a strange coincidence? That's like... I don't know what's going on, but I know that I have some questions. Good to keep an eye on it. You know, and my band, they, they are sick of me because every time they get in the van, I say, so you guys ready for the conspiracy theory of the week? Yeah, you know? I, I, I don't love them in the, the sense that I, I want bad things to happen. And, every, and, you know, everything's not a conspiracy, but conspiracies are real. I Absolutely. Mean, they're very real. Um, you know, I don't, I don't care what you say. COVID was created in the lab. Yeah, it was. Everybody knows that it didn't come from a bat. And if you said it was created in a lab, you were Conspiracy domestic theory. domestic terrorist. Conspiracy theory. If you questioned the vaccine that they had just made, you were a domestic terrorist, grandma killer. And I'm like, I'm just saying, we don't know what this is gonna do in ten years, man. And so, am I wrong to ask that question? I I'm gonna tell you this. I want to talk to you about this earlier. When I was thinking. 
people were saying a lot of wild stuff. People, I got a lot of hate for not getting the vaccine. People would tell me, a guy at work, he said, he goes, oh, you'll eat a gas station hot dog and you don't know what's in it, but you won't, you know, get the shot or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't really eat gas station hot dogs, bro, but. Yeah, you know, right. Um, but, you know, people were saying wild stuff online. I wasn't one of those people that made a big deal about everything, but I didn't, like, I was not going to put a mask on unless you really, you know, somebody would have to really make me kind of put a mask yeah. on. If I walked into a store, I, they were going to have to tell me to put one on. Yeah. And, and the restaurant thing, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times, oh, sir, you got to you gotta um, put a mask on um, while you're going to your table. Okay, where's my table? Is it right there? Okay, thanks. And I'll just, no. I, I'm not doing it. I like, walked out of a restaurant in the Gulch. My little sister wanted to go have breakfast one day. I felt so bad about this. And it said, you have to have a mask. And I said, well, do you have a mask for me? Yeah. And she said, no. Little girl at the counter. And I said, okay, well, hey, I'll just pull my shirt up over my nose. And she said, no, you can't do that. You have to have a mask. I said, look at all these people sitting at these tables that aren't wearing masks right now. I said, how does this make any sense? And I said, sis, we're going to Cracker Barrel. I know you wanted to eat at this hip joint in Nashville, but like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to play this charade. And here's the deal. If your mask works so damn well, why are you concerned that I don't have mine on? You're good. You're, yeah, you're protected, right? Mm -hmm. If your vaccine works, why does it matter that I don't have one? And so like I was putting on bug spray the other day and my guitar player, he's got his vaccine. He had to tour up in Canada during COVID and uh, you had to have your vaccine. Yeah. Well, he just got over two-week COVID. I said, don't you feel kind of duped? Like, they told you when this thing came out, oh, you're safe. You can't pass it. You can't get it. The virus stops with you. Mm -hmm. Be responsible. And he's like, no. He's like, you know, it's like anything else. The flu it mutates. You got to get a new flu shot, this, that, and the other. Well, then I put on some bug spray. So we're playing an outdoor nighttime show, and the bugs were, I mean, as big as pterodactyls out in this <laughs> cornfield. And uh, he goes, so... You'll, you'll put that poison on your skin, but you won't take the vaccine. And I said, here's the difference. I said, this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll go home and wash this off, and it's going to keep the bugs off of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. I never, uh, man, I never judged anybody for getting it. I just wanted to leave me alone about me getting it. Exactly. You know, my parents are older and yeah. kind of in bad health. And it, when it when it came out, I said, "Hey, you know, it might make sense." My dad's overweight. I said, "This thing's getting old, fat people." Like, yeah. So you know, it might make sense, and they ended up getting it. And now they're they've both both my parents have had many strokes. Um, my dad had like half of his face paralyzed, oh wow, well. and uh, from blood clots. And yeah. then my mom, she had a mini stroke where she just zoned out one day. And I'm like, Mom, what if you would have had my nieces and nephews in the car and you would have been driving mm. and you just were gone, you know? And, yeah. you know, and then she came to, didn't know where she was, didn't know she, what she was talking about. And <clears throat> so they're both like, we're not taking any more vaccines, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, I hate that you had to experience this firsthand. Because I'm just kind of like the crazy conspiracy theorist, you know, member of my family. I got uncles who are doctors and they're, you know, 100% bought into medicine. And, uh, you know, they're telling me all this stuff and all of them vaccinated, all of them still got COVID later. Like, 
it's still still standing by that the vaccine is is useful and i'm like you know it's big pharma i I mean that's it you know don't bite the hand that feeds you and i don't think that they have any malicious intent i think that they're just so bought into this is what we do we are the doctors we believe other doctors that build that keeps us credible you know and we know how they got because you know how they at very early on they were saying it's 100 percent effective yeah. You know how they got that? Yeah. Uh, so two people. In yeah, tell the, the story. <laughs> well, I think it was two people in the non-vaccine group died, and one person in the vaccine that was vaccinated died. Well, two is 100% more than one. So that's where they got 100% effective. That's yes. insane. It's insane. And if you say that. That's fraud, man. It, that, right. That, like, these people need to be held accountable. Who like the Fauci's? Oh. Everybody, everybody who was involved in that, they they put the biggest lie ever told to humanity and forced people to take this. And they said, "Oh, we didn't force anybody." Well, when you tell somebody you can't you can't work unless you have this, or you can't go to you know cross state, you can't cross the border to go see your family for Christmas. Like, okay, yeah, you didn't force people, mm-hmm. but you, you force people. Well, It's either take the shot or lose your job. And I was proud of my wife and a lot of her coworkers at the hospital. And they said, hey, you know, we're not taking this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's doctors that are saying take it, but there's also doctors saying I wouldn't take this. And so we can't discredit those people. I mean. Does she work in the medical field? Yeah, she's actually a manager up at uh, TriStar Hendersonville. Okay. And, uh, yeah, my wife's a nurse. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the VA hospital. Um, and she, she, when all this happened, she was pregnant with our daughter and I was like, Hey, no. Yeah. And she was like, no, no, no. It, and she had to, you know, go through all these hurdles and sign like a religious exemption form. That's what they all had to do was religious exemption. And I told her not too long ago, because you know, they're trying to roll it back out again. Oh yeah. I said, that's going to be one of the things that they try to attack. I said, they're going to try to get rid of that religious exemption form um, to where you have to get it anyways. And I was like, I don't know if they do that. I said, we'll figure something out. Yeah. It ain't happening for this old boy. I ain't getting it. No, I mean, seriously, man, you know, you could, uh, it, every, every path in life is tough. Every job opportunity is going to have struggles and, you know, if you're at a point where they're going to force you to do something that really goes against what you believe in or what you want to do, mm-hmm. you can figure it out. And I think a lot of people just feel hopeless, like, oh, well, how will I ever get insurance without this job? That is the worst damn excuse to stay in a shitty job I've ever heard. Like, yeah, no entrepreneurs have insurance, you know, mm-hmm. like it's out there and mm-hmm. you can actually get better rates. But it's like you can figure something out. If Mm -hmm. you're smart, if your wife's a nurse, she's obviously smart. You know, I mean, hell, dude, I always tell Amy, I said, babe, if we got to go sell grilled cheeses on the side of the highway to make ends meet, I'll do it. Like, you know, don't stay in something that's, number one, going to make you miserable in your one and only life. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, go do something else. I agree. Every path is hard. You know, it's like, what do you want to put up with and what do you want to... What do you want your struggle to be like being a musician? I don't mm-hmm. work every day. When I work, I try and make it as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like, you know, there's positives to that. Like I'll be able to stay home with my kid when he's born. Yeah. And I'll be, you know, we won't have to pay for childcare and stuff like that. Oh, it's um, huge, man. Daycare is expensive. Mm-hmm. It's expensive, man. So, yeah. So is, uh, your music, is that your, is that your main gig, your full time yeah. gig? That's yeah. Awesome and it's, uh, it's, it's, great. it's actually been really good to us. And, uh, I'm one of the lucky few that could say you know music's been good to me you made so, it dude that's awesome i mean yeah, yeah, you know we're, we're trying to make it every day you got to make it happen every day but it's like that's uh cool man i love when people do what they actually want to do yeah and you know a lot of people do you know they do the thing they really want to do kind of outside of maybe their main job i got a guy coming on in like a month donnie van slee or something like that you ever heard of him uh-uh. he's a he's a guy who plays in nashville and he's like a, a chiropractor on the side so yeah that'll be interesting to talk to him about but yeah it's side hustles are good if if you have a backup plan and also i feel like it's a little bit fail safe if you're doing something that you're actually passionate about because you'll just work that much harder at it absolutely man you know people say you'll never work a day in your life if you do what you love and it's like You'll work if you want to make it successful and mm-hmm. you'll hate it and you'll be resentful of it. And you'll be, there's days when I look at my guitars hanging in the living room and I just go, God, I wish I never would have picked one of these damn things up, you know? But then when you're on stage and you got 5,000 people that are just digging what you're doing and it's that exchange of energy, we're feeling good, they're feeling good, we're feeding off of them, vice versa. And uh, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. You know, this is why we do it. That's that, like, that carrot dangling in front of you. And sometimes you get the carrot. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys, they give up before they ever get it, and they just have a shitty attitude. And I've been there, too. You know, we were on a television show in 2018, and Shania Twain was a judge on, it was like a singing talent show for okay. bands that were on their way up. And uh, we got on there, Shania Twain said, yeah, I don't know, just didn't seem authentic. Like, I didn't really like it. And we were just like, oh, you know, and it made me so salty. Yeah, well, that's her opinion. And yeah, I know she's. It was the show was called Real Country, so the, we had the Queen of Pop telling us what yeah, Real man, Country we was. Used to, we used to watch that show all the time, dude. That's where I figured out my boy Larry Fleet. Yeah, Larry. We were on Larry's team, on Jake Owen's team. Yeah. Really? Did you meet Larry and all? Yeah, that? man. Larry's a, one of the best dudes I've ever met, man. Dude, me and my wife love him, man. He is great, man. When he came out with that Working Man song, uh huh. My wife messaged him on Instagram just to say, like, hey, this song reminds me of my dad and my husband, and my husband loves your music, and you know, keep going. He messaged her back and was like, hey, I appreciate it. I'm working hard every day. And I was like, man, that's cool. Larry is a real one. Um, you know, we didn't become like close buds or whatever, but, yeah, yeah. you know, um, he is a good guy. I believe him when he sings and what he's singing, and he's true to it, you know. He's really talented, man. He, he is. He seems very authentic. He's family guy. And yep. I think he lives somewhere in Middle Tennessee, but. Yeah, that's cool, man. You got to spend some time. Did you get to spend time with any of them other big names like that? Um, Jake Owen was on there, wasn't he? Jake was on there. We we met Jake for about five minutes before we went, actually went on. So, you know, they made it – they hyped it up like, oh, the, you know, Jake's coaching these guys and stuff. And he literally, right before we went on the performance segment, he's like, how you guys feeling? How you doing? Nice to meet you. Oh, wow, I'm thanks Jake for the <laughs> Yeah, we're like, all right. like, <clears throat> But, uh, no, I mean, Jake was cool. Travis Tritt was on there. He was great. 
And uh, yeah, my wife's a huge Travis Tritt fan. We've seen him live like five times. Oh, fantastic, man! Yeah, yeah. he's still going hard, man. Yeah, that dude plays his shows like he's still in the mid '90s when he was just bigger than life. You know? Yeah, he's still going hard, man. He he came out here to a venue recently and played a really big outside show, and it was had a great time. So that's cool, man. Do you run into a lot of these uh, big name country artists in Nashville? Man, it's like in the most unsuspecting places that I'm like meet people. Like mm. I saw Trace Atkins out in Pegram at a gas station. He was just in there like <laughs> in his lawn mowing clothes and probably picking up beer. <laughs> had, yeah, had that real deep voice. How you doing today, honey? You know all that stuff. I'm like, he's fucking Trace Atkins. Yeah. Right but like the first guy that we met was Daryl Worley when we got down here. Um, we had opened up a show for him and uh, in West Virginia and met his drummer. And his drummer was like, man, you guys sound good. If you, if you move down, I've got a studio, this, that, and other. So That's cool. a month later, we called Tom Drennan. And, and I said, Tom, I said, we're going to take you up on that offer. We're moving to Nashville, you know. And nice. so he took us out, and we hung out with Daryl Worley after one of their shows downtown. And that dude is – they don't get any better than Daryl, man. He is cool. We were just drinking beers and – his wife's super sweet. She's a West Virginia girl. And, nice. Um, but, you know, just listening to bands at what used to be the uh, Fiddle and Steel in mm -hmm. Printer's Alley, which that's a hotel now. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, man. So, you know, we've met a couple of guys here and there. Um, when we played with Tracy Bird the other day, met him backstage. Usually you don't see the artists, you know, when you're opening. They're on the bus. Or they're, really? They're, they'll just, you know, stage. To, most of them don't even sound check. Their band will be up there. Tracy was up there. He was sound checking and everything, and he got done. And right before we were about to load on, his band was loading off, and he, you know, he came back in the green room, talked to us, That's took cool. pictures with the kids, and and everything, and shook everybody's hand. Was interested, and I was like, man, like that is, I, I love seeing that because they always say don't meet your heroes, you know. Mm. Mm. but uh yeah my buddy he used to do a lot of film he was in the film industry in nashville for a little while after college and uh filmed a lot of interviews shows stuff like that just got the opportunity to kind of like be around a lot of those big names and he can just i'm gonna have him on the podcast eventually to talk about it he uh he's told me just these funny stories about how different like he said in the same day they interviewed alan jackson taylor swift and eric church and um Dadgummit, what's his name? I'm blanking. Uh, used to sing, he's a black dude, used to sing Hootie and the Blowfish. Darius Rucker. Darius Rucker, sorry. Love Darius Rucker. Yeah. And he said he met all them in one day, and he said um, Taylor Swift was like, you couldn't even like, she's like she was an alien, man. She just, like a robot, came in, sat down, answered the questions, boom, gone. Yeah. And Alan Jackson was the same way, just super – and he said that Eric Church uh, was, like, the coolest guy ever. Like, yeah. wanted to talk to everybody in the room. Like, hey, man, how you doing? How you, well, y'all y'all having a good day? And stuff like that. And I've heard that from some of my guys that were out on tour with him yeah. in the past. Darius yeah. Rucker was apparently real cool, too. And yep. he just used to talk about these different, you know. I, I think some of that, I think these people get so big, it's, it's maybe not them. It's maybe their – manager their team or something and they kind of uh just try to control too much and he thinks that's what it mostly was and but man you can get some people in your ear telling you some nonsense about yourself that yeah you know people will 
just get a big head, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I mean, I've seen it firsthand, you know, guys that were down to earth and friends and then they get a manager and now, oh, well, sorry, man, like, I can't come do that. Like, all my friends are way too famous now. Like, yeah. okay, all right, sorry, bro, you know. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's uh, you get so big, you get so many people in your ear, and I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're just insanely busy, and they're just trying to make it from one thing to the next and get home a little bit. But yeah, no doubt. Yeah, um, and, and you know that. In that same breath, though, it doesn't take anything to be nice. It doesn't take anything to be friendly. It doesn't, you know, just to say hey. Like, whenever we're at a venue, man, and there's sound guys and stuff or guys that other people are pissing on, I'm like, hey, like, how you guys doing today? Like, you know, whatever. Just these are human beings. They're yeah. doing a job just like I'm out doing a job, yeah. you know. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're all the same, man. That's, you a know? Good, that's a good attitude to have. Man, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about that you just wrapped up um, – the hard 75? 75 hard. Dude, that looks like it is hard. What, what What's up with that? What What's the All basic right. premise of that? 75 hard, I, I learned about from Andy Frisella, who runs the uh, – he used to run a podcast called the MFCEO Project, which is entrepreneurial and self-development. Now he runs one called uh, Real AF. With okay. Andy Frisella. And if you guys aren't listening to that, go listen to it. Andy's on top of his game, but he owns First Form uh, Supplement Company, which Amy, my wife, actually works for them. She's a coach. Uh, sh- I actually turned her on to it, and, you know, mm. she's an overachiever, so she nice. is now coaching for them. But, anyways, Andy came up with this program, and it's called 75 Hard. It's 75 days. You do two workouts a day. 45 minutes a piece. One has to be outside, rain or shine. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be spaced out three hours apart at least so that you're ramping yourself up, coming back down, do, do some stuff, ramp back up. That's the idea. Like, get that blood moving, keep it moving. And, and uh, a lot of people are like, man, like, isn't that tiring? Aren't you exhausted? And it's like, at first, but then... I have more energy. It's crazy, like how pushing yourself, your body will adapt and say, "All right, it's six o'clock. We're getting ready for our evening ruck, you know, with the weight vest or, or a run or whatever." And your body's like, "Let's go do it." Yeah. And uh, so it's two workouts. It's a gallon of water a day. It's a you got to take a progress picture every day, and you don't have to post it. It's just for your own like accountability. You got pretty jacked. Dude, I I never <laughs> I never have had six pack in my life and like that was that was what was the recipe. Uh clean eating, so you pick a diet, whatever diet you want, and you stick to it. It can't be I'm gonna eat Taco Bell for seventy five days. It's gotta be like a real diet. So I do like high protein, I don't eat bread, um, mm. and then you can't have any alcohol or cheat meals. So a lot of people, that's where they trip up. They say, oh, well, I, I've done good for five days. I'm going to have cheat meal this weekend. It's like, well, dude, that one day will negate three of your five, yeah. you know? And make you relapse in there too, boy. Yeah, you I mean. You smell a dang Papa John pizza one more time, you might go full, you know, full blast on that thing. You yeah, just, I mean, and, and that's my issue. So, I, you know, my buddies always ask me, what are you going to do when you get done with 75? And I say, oh, you know, I'll. 
I'll have a cheat day. Well, then a cheat day turns into, you know, two cheat days. And was it ever real hard to, so like, I try to eat real healthy too, just like meat and vegetables and yeah. fruit. It's, I try to eat no bread. Yep. I've never been like a big Coke drinker, soft drink guy anyways. I just wouldn't, my parents didn't buy that stuff growing up. So I've just always left it. But it's hard though when like, cause we do a lot of socializing. We go eat dinner with friends or stuff like that. And you, you go to someone's house and you know, it's pizza night. You know, mm-hmm. Damn it. So we, mm. we just had that happen to us. Uh, we went to our niece's birthday party and they were having dominoes. Yeah. And me and her said, all right, well, hey, we'll bring a couple of cauliflower crust pizzas and just throw them in the oven before the party. And we were good to go, you know. Still mm-hmm. had the watermelon, still had, you know, yeah. whatever else. And it takes effort. Or sometimes you just got to eat before and be like, hey, I mean, sorry, that, I'm not eating that stuff. That is one of the biggest things, man. Like, say no to free food. Just because there's free food. If there's donuts backstage, yeah. you're damn right I want a donut. <laughs> yeah. I love donuts, dude. Yeah, but if good. I'm But if I'm on the program, I'm not going to eat it. I, like, I'm going to order a Caesar salad. Yeah. And it's, so my thing is... The, the like I said, the boys always ask me like, "You gonna have a cheat day? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna are you gonna go drink beers? You know?" And I'm like, when I'm on it, I'm like, I really don't want to, guys. Like I've been getting so much done. I've been so clear headed. I'm feeling better than I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in the best shape of my life at 33 years old. Better than when I was at a peak performance mm-hmm. high school athlete. You know? Yeah. So I'm like, why would I want to go negate everything that I've been working for? Yeah, it's and, not really a cheat meal if you don't want to do it. Right. You know, like it's you're not just, really uh, gratifying if you're like, man, like, yeah, I'd love to go eat like a bunch of burgers and fried appetizers, but it's like, I really don't want to. You know, and yeah. so, so I finished up two weeks ago and I've kind of, I've been eating pretty clean, but I have been having the donut. I have been having a couple beers well, at Mexican, mm-hmm. but now today is actually my first day of what's called phase one. So it's all the 75 hard stuff, but then you add three other tasks. So it'll be like you got to do a five-minute cold shower, um, which I took the first one of those this morning, which, good Lord, son, <laughs> let me just tell you. Oh, dude, I can't. I'm not going to say I can't do it, but I absolutely. Just, I was dreading it. Oh, I was man. dreading it. But I'm, I tell you what, I felt felt uh, revitalized. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I, you know, I grew up in the heat. I don't like you posted that funny video of you talking about it being hot and yeah dude I can sit in a sauna with the best of them or I can run outside you know I grew up two days I can do the heat stuff yeah but man dude you get that cold tub and the icy water and all that I'm like ooh, man yeah that's gonna be after something I'm gonna have to work on to ever really get in so that is the main takeaway from 75 hard. It's everybody thinks it's a fitness challenge. It's a mental discipline program. Mm-hmm. So oh, oh, the other thing you have to do is read 10 pages of like an inf- information based book. So like not Harry Potter. I like finance books. I like self-discipline books, mm-hmm. uh, self-help, you know, any kind of growth. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you're in such a mindset of, getting things done, living right, not eating trash, you know, and it just brings you up to a next level to where you're like, I can't believe I was living like that. And then you realize how many people aren't doing these things. And it makes, it gives you that perception of like, well, dude, I'm unstoppable. Like I know I'm putting in the work. Mm. I'm, I'm building my mind. I'm getting education outside of the, you know, 
12 years I went to school. And, uh, you know, it, it feels good. It feels good to get things done, to, to have things that are on your list that most time you'd say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Well, during 75 hard, you have to budget your time in a way that it's like, I've got to get this done. I've got to get my tasks done for the program, but I've also got to get this. And you realize I've got way more time than I, than I ever thought, you know? Yeah, man, um, that's awesome. That, that's going to really set you up to be in a good spot mentally for having a kid. Yeah. Because, man, children, it's a it's a time management thing. And, you know, they're babies. They need constant attention. And I always, I always tell my buddies, man, I'm like, dude, when you're out there chasing women, look for, a, look for a wife and a good woman that will take care of you and your family and you want to take care of her too. And, yeah, man, that it's kids will – They'll get your time, and, and you're and you're glad that they have your time. You know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. I am looking forward to it so much. My best friend growing up just had a baby last week, and I went to North Carolina to visit them. And yeah, and you know, I, it's I, fun. I, it's I, it's man. not all people. Some people down are like, oh man, you're constantly doing this. I'm like, man, you're constantly doing everything. But dude, you get to take care of your kid. It's awesome. Man, Jordan Peterson talks about this. He says, you know, all a kid wants from you, especially as a as a dad or you know, and a mom too is they, they want to have the best relationship possible that they can have with you. They want you to love them as much as you, as you possibly can. And how many people in this world can you say that about that really, you know, they just want to have the best relationship possible with Mm -hmm. you. And so you're in control of that with your kid. Mm -hmm. Like you can make that happen. And I was lucky, you know, my, my dad, he's, he was the best man in my wedding. My mom and I have always been super close Mm -hmm. and, but there was always a level of respect. They weren't the fun parents that were like, yeah, bring your friends over and drink at our house. Yeah. My parents, you know, down like that either. Yep. Yep. So there was a level of respect, obviously, but at the same time, you know, we had fun. We, you know, we were, we were a tight family unit and. Mm -hmm. I could call my dad right now and say, Dad, I, I need you here this evening. Yeah. Like I, and he would drop everything and be here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how many people can you say that about yeah. outside of family? The list and gets shorter and shorter the older you get. <clears throat> it does, man. Huh. I've got, you know, four buddies from high school, and one of them passed away in 2020, and I'm down to three. And, you know, that's those are my boys, though. Was that um, the uh, guy in the military? Yeah, my buddy Jimmy. He was uh, – a rescue swimmer in the Navy, and uh, they were actually on that ship that got docked in Guam at the beginning of COVID, where the whole ship got COVID. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but, uh, you know, he came back. He had his son, or his wife had had his son when he was stuck in Guam. So he got back, met his son, spent a couple of months at home, then went back out on a training mission. And, uh, man, it was the last flight that they were supposed to do he was going to come home two days later and they uh they were just doing training and helicopter landed on the deck of the aircraft carrier and something went haywire with it and it started rocking back and forth Mm. and uh just kind of chattered off the deck well that's 90 feet to the ocean and you're hitting like concrete at that speed so they were all killed on impact it was five of them on board and Mm. One guy, uh, he was the new guy. He actually survived. He broke his back, but 
you know, it was just a horrible situation. And then seeing how the Navy dealt with that, they left them at the bottom of the ocean for a month. You know, it's like y'all knew, y'all saw the chopper fall off the deck. You spent 72 hours searching for it in like a four mile perimeter or whatever it was. And it's like, I know you have GPS on that. All the suits have GPS. Like, so, yeah. uh, Go get them, and then, them. and then it was, you know, the Navy was just deferring everything. Oh, it wasn't our fault. This was a, you know. Yeah. That's man. Stuff like that, especially like training mission casualties and stuff is awful. I just, uh, one of my good friends is, um, he's stationed in, uh, in, um, Alaska and they just had a, a big chopper go down on a training mission in Alaska. And he, he was one of the pilots flying in that V formation when a couple of the choppers collided and they lost some guys. And it's just so sad, man. The it families, happens all the time in training. It so happens sad. all the time. So sad. So that's where uh, Jimmy's wife actually started the AWS-1 James Buriak Foundation. Yeah, I was going to say shout out that. So if anyone wants uh, to give to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a excellent foundation to give to it supports the uh, surviving family of the victims of these kind of training accidents and stuff and uh you know the military really does not have anything in place to help those guys out you know that a lot of the insurance money she didn't get because he didn't die in a war zone or overseas and it's like man you know isn't it wild to have stipulations like that i mean it's crazy died in service in yeah i mean you know so I'm a huge supporter of the military. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both my dad, my, you my know. dad was in the Navy for seven years. That's a special, special place in my heart, the military. Absolutely. But yeah. any kids that want to join up today, knowing what we know now, knowing that these wars are just over resources, you know, go ask any country that we've been in fighting for democracy, how much democracy they have, how much better off their life is now that we're, we've come – and pillaged and left but you know now at least we have lithium we have cobalt we have whatever else it is yeah um it's really hard to talk to uh military guys about that sometimes because you know they went over there and just risked their life and yeah and spent so much time away and did tours and and then you you know in this new age of social media there's just more information now out on everything that kind of goes on and you're you know you have to be careful yeah it's just like i know i know some good things were done and but man the government man they're just always jacking around like that well and and that's what i say man i support those men and women more than anybody else Mm -hmm. um regardless of what it's actually over no to them they they're fighting for freedom Mm -hmm. and um and you know that's the mentality and that is why we're free today is because of previous military engagements that we've had to you know defend this place um but anymore i mean and and the reason i think like this now is most of the guys that i know that are out of the military are the ones telling me this stuff they're like this you know we were fighting i i told one guy i said yeah it's crazy that we were over there just fighting for oil and he goes no talking about afghanistan he goes we're we're fighting for minerals He's like, they wanted the minerals that were over there. I'm like, minerals? And he's like, wow. all these electronics and all the electro, uh, the batteries for the electric Lithium cars. And, uh, cobalt. You know, yeah. Cobalt's one of them. They built uh, phones with That's it. another thing, man. People say that they care about the environment, so they're going to get an electric car. And it's like, you hmm. realize that cobalt is mined, strip mines the land by use of child slaves and women with babies in sacks on their back. Yep. So that you could feel good about 
taking care of the environment. Yeah, the Congo is a disaster. It's unreal, man. And this stuff just gets swept right under the rug. China owns all these massive you know? cobalt mines in the Congo, and they just... They really enslave those people is what they do because they come in there and these villages are there and there's nothing around these villages. And that becomes the only place to make money to work. And you're basically enslaved. Yeah. If you don't work there, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself in the village as where before that mine was there. There was other avenues naturally to live. And now that's coming there and they've killed all the wildlife, moved everything out you know probably polluted streams and rivers or whatever and you can't you, if you want to live you have to sustain yourself by doing that yeah really sad it, it's uh it's very sad man and and the narrative that we get from mainstream media is just totally skewed the more that you read the more that you research which is you know one of the good things about the internet is we do have just a wealth of information yeah. and you really have to decipher what what is true, what is not true. There's a lot of snake oil salesmen more than ever now, and it's easier to do than ever now. Yep. So you have to really be a critical thinker. And the truth is, most people just don't have time. They're out working their 40, 50 hours a week. And, oh, uh, well, regardless of what's going on in the Congo, I still got to show up on Monday, you know. And it's like, man, that, you know ignorance is bliss but at the same time dude like you got to know what's going on in the world that you live in and understand how it operates and the biggest thing is follow the money trail like mm -hmm. wherever there's money to be made yeah. you need to ask yourself okay who's who's benefiting from this who's benefiting from the vaccine who's benefiting from from a, a wildfire you know just it's the dots almost connect themselves big business deep state it always ends up going back into those. and uh yeah man and so, like I said, I mean, I would never, I would, uh, I would never discredit somebody or demonize somebody for being in the military. I, on the contrary, I support those people and respect those people more than anybody. Fully. But, but if a kid was going to come up today and say, "Yeah, man, I'm going to join the military," I would say, "Well, think about it." Just, you know, I had a kid the other day say, "I'm either going to go to auto uh, diesel college, or I'm going to join the Marines." And I said, "Well, just know that you're." you're fighting in the Marines to make our politicians wealthy and our corporations wealthy. And he goes, Oh, I'd be fighting for me, man. I'd be doing it for me. And I said, well, that's good and all, but mm. just make sure you come back because like, I see my buddy, Jimmy, who, you know, they got him with the sign on bonus. You're part of the team. We're going to take care of you. You're going to get a pension until you don't come back. Yeah. And then your family's out, you know, your friends and family are devastated by the loss. Mm -hmm. and uh and and the, you know the government's going to treat you like a number yeah. they're they're not going to they're mm -hmm. going to put on a nice ceremony they'll fold a flag they'll do the 21 gun salute and then that's it you know they're done with you and yeah, they their don't. obligation to you is is they don't care i i think it can be beneficial i think i think it's like uh you know if somebody wants to go in the military today i would give them the advice it's like man go in early when you're young outside of high school and use the military as a benefit for you. Maybe uh, get them to pay for your college or try to do something in the military that you can leave the military with and have a right. future career set up for you. I think it's good for that, but it is tough, man, for these. I mean, I think my mom and dad had two kids while he was in the Navy. You know, he's gone a lot. Yeah. And it's a tough lifestyle. And shout out to all the women that, 
you know, hold it down for all the all the men that are gone and doing that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So I think it's a good tool to use, but you know, you do have to be careful in today's time. And we were we were camping this past weekend up at Edgar Evans State Park with my parents, and we were kind of talking about the military. And my mom was like, "What age does the draft stop at?" And I think it's like thirty five. Yeah. 35 and she was like because oh, i'm 33 too and she was like oh you got a couple more years you know i hope you don't ever get drafted and i'm like a draft right now would be a hard sell yeah on anybody oh well we just know too much you know i don't think it'd work no i don't think it'd work i mean uh you know there's as far as getting americans to pull together that's what you'd really need Mm-hmm. Um, we're on course for the next big whatever it is. You know, the last uh, – I was watching an ex-CIA guy talk about this, but it goes in cycles. And we're on like a 25-year cycle now. Coming off of a 20-year cycle, it increases every time. And they said the last one was 9-11 mm-hmm. and that united the whole country. And Republican, Democrat, whatever. Everybody had an American flag. Mm -hmm. And now we've kind of degraded again. We're separating. And he said, so we're due, like, on the financial timeline, on the escalation of these wars and conflicts timeline, like, we are due for the next big whatever it is. But I've talked to a lot of ex-CIA guys, a lot of current military guys that said 2025 is going to get weird. Get what you need and have what you have because yeah. after that it could get hairy and that nobody really says what it's going to be but they just said yeah. it's it's something something's going to happen you know i was talking to a guy in the air force who works in it and uh we just got to talking about it and he said man if you think these wildfires if you think these train derailments these factories burning down he's like if you don't think that those are acts of war you're you're missing the big picture. Like these are acts of war Mm. from China, Russia, and from within. And our government's just trying to, you know, hold on as tight as possible and not let this cat out of the bag. I mean, we just had that spy balloon going over the country. You know. What the hell's that? Right. Well, and (laughs) my thing is, it's like, okay, is this, what is this? Like, is this a a joke? Like China? China's the most advanced, like, technologically advanced country yeah. in put, the world. I put my tinfoil hat on right now, and I, I, I was like, a balloon? Right. I was like, that just seems like a ploy for something, man. Right. That like, don't seem right. You're going to use a spy balloon when you can read a license plate from a satellite in space? You yeah. know? That just seemed like something that was thrown out there to see what people think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and what it showed was you can do whatever you want because, we're, you know, and they said, oh, well, if it was carrying a biohazard weapon or a uh, a nuke and we shot it down and that could have been, you know, mm-hmm. bad or whatever. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, and, and, you know, anytime that there is foreign intelligence uh, and military grade, whatever it is, surveillance or weapons, they want it up and doing what it's doing for as long as possible so that they can observe it. Mm -hmm. So I understand it from that respect, but at the same time, it's like, dude, we can't just be having people flying over our airspace. I mean, if you're flying a crop duster over area 51, they're going to shoot you down, you know? Um, 
And so it's like, I don't know. And, and that's the thing. Like, if you're if we're putting tinfoil hats on, you can get as deep into this. Who's working with who? Who's, yeah, I mean, who's padding whose pockets? Uh, what is What are the optics about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, speaking of all that, I mean, the government right now is having actual hearings on, like, UFO stuff. It's pretty wild. I, I don't really... So I'd like to know your opinion on that. To me, it's there's two things that people are kind of thinking. One, either there really is some alien stuff going on with unidentified ships of some sort flying around, or people think that it's really advanced military weapons that have not made it out for the public eye to see yet. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, uh, so I have like, I'm a little bit all over the board. I am number one UFO believer. I mean, I, there's got to be something else out there. Sure. Um, and I don't think that's a crazy stance to have. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, to me, it's like, it seems arrogant to think that we're the only living beings in all of the universe, you know, like we can't, we haven't even explored our whole galaxy and we're just a, a dot. Questionable if you've been to the moon, oh, well, you know, man. so I, <laughs> me and my father-in-law disagree about this. He's like, yeah, we, we landed on the moon. I'm like, I don't know. And uh, it's funny cause his mom, Amy's grandma, she was a, she was always a big disbeliever in the moon landing, you know, mm. but <clears throat> If you look at the facts, we're in a space race, right, with other countries. So is it easier to get to the moon or is it easier to film the moon landing in Hollywood and say we won for, for the morality of the country, yeah. for the uh, power grab of becoming a, you know, a, a worldwide power? Yeah. Um, but, okay, that aside. Um, hey, nev- hold on. Just before we leave the moon, and I get all my buddies give me crap for this. We've never been back. That's another thing. Is that odd? Yeah, you'd think they'd be sh- sending tourist trips up there by now. I mean, yep. that was 1969. And, pe- and people are always like, oh, yeah, no, we've been back. I'm like, look it up. It's a quick Google. Yeah. Never been back. And then India just landed a, something on the moon, and you watch that video, and it's like, mm. Okay. All right, okay, this looks a little sketchy. See, and that's where people get tripped up on is they're like, oh, we've been back a bunch of times. I'm like, a human foot has not stepped back on the moon right. since 69. Yeah, there's radiation bands and stuff that people would have to pass through, and it's like you just wouldn't survive. Um, but the alien thing, so once again, I don't know everything, but I have a lot of questions. Our government has denied this since the 40s. That there are aliens. And that's how long all this has been going on, too. Right. So they have denied, denied, denied. If you bring it up and you're in the military, you're, I mean, you know, they'll excommunicate you. Like, oh, this guy's a nut job, you know. And so now, all of a sudden, we're in the most corrupt government that we've ever, the world has ever known. We have the pandemic. We have the new world order wanting to have total control. And all of a sudden, out of the goodwill of your heart, you're just going to admit to us that, oh, yeah, no, aliens are real. Like, to me, this is a distraction. Yeah. It could definitely be uh, either our own technology that we don't want to let out of the bag. It could be, which is more concerning, China or Russia's technology 
that we are just totally outgunned and don't know anything about right and so and they can't deny it at this point so you want to keep the panic down you say oh it's aliens now ten foil time i'm loyal to the foil um <laughs> ten foil time there's a conspiracy theory called project Bluebeam. and i don't know if you know about this i don't think so okay so project Bluebeam. this is the last great threat to humanity um this is the conspiracy is or the theory is rather that the government in order to form one world government and one world compliance will use holograms or drones and make it look like aliens are here and the alien and so now well we're not fighting each other we're not fighting russia we're going to come together with all these countries right and we're going to unify as the people of Earth. And the aliens are the bad guys now. And, you know, the aliens could come down and say, we're actually your creator. Religion is out the window. We are actually, you know, we put you guys here. And you should all live together under one, in harmony, under one government. Like, I bet the aliens land where there's a lot of minerals. Right. You know, man, and so... On an oil field? Oh, it's odd. So, you know, it's like, this sounds crazy. If you don't know anything about it, you'd be like, this is not... Like, when I tell the guys in my band, they're like, so they're going to use drones and holograms? That's what happened in Spider-Man. I go, dude, they put that shit in movies so that when it happens in real life, you're like, this, oh, this is what happened in Spider-Man, you know? E.T. phone home, Yeah, right. Like, this is, there's, this is conditioning, in my opinion. Um, but... You know, so I think 2025 rolls around. Maybe that's maybe that's the event. Maybe that hey, stop all this war. You know, oh. come together. Um, I think we're but, in the wake of something big. But yeah, I mean, for the government to just come out and say, "Oh yeah, uh, there's aliens now." You know, we were lying to you then, but we're telling the truth now. Yeah, yeah, we lied to you for the last 70 years, but now we're it's you know we're being honest. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. Um, Absolutely. It's all wild, man. I don't even know how to keep up with all of it. It's it's so odd. All this stuff rolls out, and I hear a lot. I hear it talked about a lot on podcasts, and everybody, I feel like everybody's getting a little bit more on the same boat, though, a little bit with with all that kind of stuff. People are starting to be, like, a little bit more accepting of, like, ah, Everybody thinks there is something out there, but also everybody thinks that the government's screwing around. Yeah, and so for them to re- release that information, this is the big one. I think it's another distraction. I think this is the Dylan Mulvaney of the day. This is the George Floyd of the day. Oh, look, and I think it didn't work as well because we're still like, hey, that's cool, aliens, yeah, all right, whatever. This doesn't affect us. Uh, how about all the clients on the Epstein list? That'd be nice. How, you still haven't released any of those names. That makes me so mad. You know, and it's like, dude, like, stop putting, once again, these below-the-line issues. We don't care about these issues. Like, the shit that we care about is, like, the corruption in our government. Mm-hmm. Where's the money going? Or is there a pedophile ring where they're blackmailing our politicians and celebrities? Like, yeah. Like Tell us that. the shit that we want to know. Like, mm-hmm. stop with all this nonsense that just creates division yeah. You know. Yeah, they loved the pandemic. They want another one so bad. Oh, yeah. And you hear Bill Gates talking about, oh, if people didn't take the first one seriously, the next one will definitely get their attention. And then he does a little smirk. And it's like, dude. Yeah. Letting mosquitoes go with 
whatever's in them suckers. Yeah, yeah, malaria virus. Now we got people in uh, Texas and Florida getting malaria, and they're like, oh, uh, those mosquitoes couldn't have been the same as the ones that Bill Gates created. And it's like, oh, so you're telling me Bill Bill Gates created mosquitoes that carry malaria or whatever it is. I think they want to. And, yeah. But there's no way that it could be those mosquitoes. I think they want to, with the pandemic thing, I think the government really wants to see something, sadly, that affects children because I think that's when people will really get on board for, um, you know, all the stops. You know, if the government's like, if you don't do this, the children are going to die. And I think, you know, because COVID and kids didn't really, there wasn't really, didn't really affect kids. And and this is why I am hesitant now. I see a lot of people saying like, uh, don't comply, don't wear a mask, you know, and while I'm of that mindset and that was applicable for the last pandemic, mm-hmm. if the new pandemic does attack kids, if the death rate is, so COVID was like 1% or less of people who had COVID died of COVID. Mm-hmm. If the death toll is 5% or 10% of the next variant that die from it, and it's not just ta- attacking old people and out of shape people. Well, now it's young, healthy people like us. Now it's kids. So, you know, and I had a buddy ask me, what would the point be to wipe out the younger generation, you know? And I said, well, if there's no young generation or they skip a generation somehow, there's less people without jobs. There's less people to push back. There are less people to remember the way that it was, Mm. you know, when we were living air quotes free. Um, You know, you're free to do as you please in this country as long as it's what the government says you can do yeah. as long as the government you're free to go start a business as long as the government gets their cut mm. you know um so it, i don't know like i said i think we live on a tax farm i think they could care less about us i think there's a seatbelt law in place because if i'm dead i can't pay taxes anymore because who does that affect other than me yeah you know i mean that that was the one that really got me and i actually wrote that in a song uh, well, if I own a motorcycle, who the hell are you to tell me I got to wear a helmet? You know? It's my, I mean, it's my deal. Right. Who? And, dude, all a helmet's going to do is is maybe help your chances of having a closed casket. I mean, or an open casket. Because yeah. if you wreck on a motorcycle, dude, 25 miles an hour, you get shredded. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And just, and just simply put, like, that, like, what I do and those kind of choices that I make, that doesn't concern y'all. Like, right. You don't need to tell me how to to put a seatbelt on or anything weird like that. I'm just like, why do they get involved with stuff like that? Right. Like you don't act like you care about my safety and well-being. Mm -hmm. And then it's totally legal like this right here. Mm -hmm. Smokeless tobacco is addictive. It probably says may cause cancer on here somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're pregnant. Don't dip. Yeah. I mean, so you'll sell me. I wrote a song called Where's the Party? And it just talks about basically, you know, left and right. I, I don't care for either one of them, but it says uh, I can buy Red Man Chaw or uh, I can buy Jim Bean Black and Red Man Chaw, pickle my liver and rot my jaw. You know, <laughs> it's like, but seatbelt ticket, what the hell is that shit? I guess if I'm dead, then I can't pay taxes. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I um, love it. I love but it. yeah, it's like, man, don't sit here and act like you care about us. Yeah. And then. 
you know, you're, you're selling us poison. There's poison in all of our food. Yeah. I mean, even when you're trying to eat clean and then you start reading the ingredients on a bag of Uncle Ben's rice and you're like, yeah, this is rice. Yeah. How you screw up rice? Yeah, it's I mean, it's true, man. They it's weird what they pick and choose on what they want to be acceptable, because, I mean, me and you can go get a, a couple of them right there and get some a bunch of brown liquor at the liquor store and drink ourselves to death out here. And that's completely legal. But I mean, you couldn't buy a two acre field. And grow a bunch of a bunch of pot out there. Yeah, and, right. And never have the risk of dying at all. That that's the thing. Like what? That's another thing. Like why is pot illegal? I, like I can I can drink all day. I can get in the car and kill somebody. Like if I if I smoke a joint, I'm gonna be sitting there destroying a, a bag of Cheetos. You yeah. know, that's the only target that's in any danger. But yeah. I, that, you know. that goes back to the money thing they don't yeah they don't want well if they realize hey like you don't you don't need a pill to sleep anymore you don't need a pill to make you you know less depressed you don't yeah. need a pill for this a pill for that you don't need a pill for pain just because this plant that you can grow in your backyard mm-hmm. well there's no money in plants yeah you know yeah that's probably big pharmaceutical they don't want they don't want alternate ways of medicine you know natural ways of medicine yeah out there and I, I mean dude i'm not anti-medicine i mean no, I, I'm, not I, I'm not anti-vaccine like if if it makes sense for you you know i'm just like don't give people oxycontin that sprain their ankle right i mean that you know i had a buddy who had a root canal and got addicted to painkillers because they yep. put him on that stuff you know mm-hmm. now the next thing he knows he's out out of his prescription and this was back in college and he's looking for it wherever he can find it you know, take a Xanax, take a Oxy, take a whatever. That's terrible. And, uh, I mean, he kicked it and, and realized what was going on. But at the same time, uh, you know, one of the guys I play with, he, he got into it recreationally and said within one month, he went from recreationally using Oxycontin to, like, looking for heroin. Oh, wow. You know, like, and, uh, and, and that lasted for five years with him. And he was able to kick the habit, went to rehab and everything, and he's good as, as gold now. Good, but good for him, yeah. But so many of my friends have not. And I've been to so many funerals that mm. it's like, you know, this could have been avoided. Mm. Um, and it's not even like they didn't know better. It's just that stuff grabs a hold of you. That's one thing, man. I've never done any pills. I've never put anything yeah. in my nose. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm lucky enough. I had good guidance from my parents to say, you know, <laughs> well, they said, if we catch you doing any of that shit, we're going to bust your ass. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so that tough love I- I'm grateful for because I saw a bunch of other kids that were straight A students and then they get hooked on that stuff, man. And their life just goes downhill. Yeah. And uh, so, I, you know, like I said, I'm grateful that I had that example as a, as a young person to know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I never messed with a pill or nothing like that. I saw a couple of guys hurt their knees real bad and stuff in high school, and they ended up getting, you know, addicted to that stuff, and they end up just not even playing ball anymore, and went through just years, a decade of freaking just addicted to all kinds of pills and all that stuff, and it's it's terrible. And I don't, for some reason, that stuff just was never attractive to me. I just never cared yeah. anything about it. I was always been more of a like a social drinker anyways and just yeah. don't really care to you know be numb if there's no reason to be just you know 
But I don't, you don't really drink anymore, do you? You said. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't drink much anymore. You know, I'll get on a tear every now and then. Um, but as soon as I do, I'm like, I'm slipping. Yeah. I'm backsliding because I used to be, a, I mean, a real heavy drinker. Um, you know, half gallon of Jim Beam every four or five days, mm. and um, that was you know college and when I first got to Nashville and yeah I was doing things I didn't I wasn't proud of I was hanging out with people that were a bad influence on me I wasn't being productive I wasn't making money I wasn't bettering myself and that's one thing that 75 hard really opened my eyes to was like the potential that I do have and you know I don't think we'll ever reach our full potentials but we definitely won't if we're drunk all the time Yep. We definitely won't if we're stoned all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's like getting your mind in gear and and really putting that focus, that discipline in place. Mm-hmm. That is, to me, invaluable. And that's the best thing about 75 Hard, dude. It's free. Yeah. You can literally unlock the cheat code. You see people in your day-to-day life and you're like, God, that guy has something that I don't. Mm-hmm. Like that guy just wins at everything he does. No, that guy wins more than you do. He probably loses more than you do, but he's doing more than you do. So it's a numbers game, man. Like you buy more lottery tickets, you're going you're, you're gonna to have a better chance. Yeah. That lottery ticket in your life is the things that you need to do, that you know need to get done, that you're just not doing. You'd rather go get drunk or play video games or watch Netflix, mm. which I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, you know, if that's what you like to do, then do it but don't be upset when you're not progressing in your life yeah well that can't be the main thing right that stuff's fine you just have to you have to leave it most of the time and have fun sometimes and you know yeah do you think a lot of that was just like you know the music the music industry in nashville you know most of the time when people go to your shows or a show in general you know they want to have drinks and yeah party and have a good time and that is kind of a part of it um and i'm sure being an artist you know, I'm sure some some artists can kind of get lost in thinking that like every time they play, they kind of have to do that too. Absolutely, is that kind of a little um, bit what, what that is? You know, and 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 I see it in a lot of musicians, and and they say, "Hey, man, we're here to sell beer. We're here to to bring the party to people." And like, so you know, if we're not drinking, how are we going to do it, man, brother? I'll tell you, I went completely stone cold sober in 2018, nervous, mm-hmm. the most nervous I've ever been getting on stage without a drink. Mm-hmm. And watched a couple of videos of us playing, and I was like, holy shit, like at the end of the show, we're still tight. Better. Yeah, like we're still, on, you know, we're not stumbling around. We're not like, you know, trying to pay attention to what we're playing. It's just so you're, natural. You're and, not up there in a haze, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, so like the proof's in the pudding, you know, you see it, and you can, when you can quantify it by seeing, okay, this was me drunk. And this is a video of me playing sober. Number one, I, I don't look puffy. I'm not all bloated. <laughs> Red. You know, I'm, I'm not all cross-eyed up here. Like, yeah, like we, we look tight. We look ready to go, you know. And that is a huge deal, man. Like we still, you know, I ask the Wild Horse bartenders every, every night, how'd y'all do tonight mm-hmm. on my way out of the building? Oh, we did good. We did good. So I'm oh, like, hey, yeah. you're still making money. And I didn't have to get drunk. Mm -hmm. I don't have to risk a DUI going home. Yeah. I didn't spend half the money that I made playing tonight, you know? (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself. I never really 
I don't know if I really ever care if like the band's drinking. I don't really pay attention to that anyways. Like, like some guys like I'm kinda like y'all are supposed to be playing. Right. I mean I know I know fans or whatever, they buy shots for the Wild horses are, you know, the spots you play are probably a little bit bigger and maybe like random people can't just bring drinks up there to y'all. Maybe they can. Yeah, yeah, they do. They They do do from time to time. Yeah, and but I never really cared if the band was drinking or not. I just wanted to see good music. That's what I'm saying, man. To me, the the high from playing good and being tight and making everything sound right. Yeah. That is better than I mean you yeah. know they notice that not not if the drummer's taking a shot yeah like no. you know they say oh Cody Johnson or Luke Combs shotguns beers on stage man yeah you should, why, that's what people want to see and I'm like hey, that's cool like that's their shtick like I'm to me I'd rather be somebody that somebody could look up to when I'm not on stage and say sure wow this guy's doing it at a high level and you know he's got his act together he's got his family life together mm-hmm. um. Because, I mean, that shit can just trail off. Yeah, it starts on stage, but then it, it seeps into your, your personal mm-hmm. life sometimes. And some, some guys can't control it. And, you know, I'm one of those people. Um, 2018, when we got sober, it's because we got super drunk at a gig in my hometown in Virginia. Uh, ended up almost getting in a fight with all the bouncers at the venue. Broke a bunch of shit in there because we were pissed off. Mm-hmm. And never will play there again looked like an ass in front of a hometown crowd and i'm like all right if this is our job if this is what we want to do because we didn't want to go get real jobs we at least need to treat this as a business and you wouldn't get drunk going to your job Mm -hmm. and it's like you know after the show turn up go from zero to a hundred i don't care like Mm -hmm. and you know when i am drinking like i'm not drinking uh, for the next 30 days on phase one of 75 hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I get done, me and the wife might go down the river and I might have a six pack. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, it's not all bad. Yeah. Yeah, Like there's, you know, pick your, pick your times. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when you've invested as much time and money into the music as I have, Mm -hmm. or, and as everybody in Nashville has, um, you know, to go out there and piss it away because you want to get drunk, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make yeah. sense. That's that's relatable to everybody, though, because I think everybody has done something when they've been drinking and maybe something went a little south, and then the next day you're reflecting and you realize to yourself, like, that thing probably would have not happened if we weren't boozing hard. I used to fight in college all the time. And yeah. I look back and I say... That would have never happened. Every one of these fights could have been avoided mm-hmm. if I wasn't drinking. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you do... Like I said, you do things that you're not proud of. You're you're not being productive. Mm-hmm. Not once did I crack a beer at noon and then get something done that I was proud of doing. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Um, or if you did, you didn't do a good job. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I built that pole bar when I was drunk. That's why it only stood for three weeks. Yeah, it's not yeah. really level, but, you know, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, it has its place. I think everybody, everything has its place. Yeah. Um, you know, I, just because I'm dieting doesn't mean I'm never going to go eat pizza. And I'll, yeah. I'll go slam a pizza and some Waffle House and everything else that I want, you know. Mm-hmm. I try to do eat right and do the best I can as much as I can when I have control of it. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you're open about that. A lot of people can relate to that. I think that's a good a good thing to talk about openly. That, that's probably not easy, 
you know, I saw a video or you something about, you know, men's mental health awareness month or something like that. And yeah, that's cool that you do that, man. People like that authenticity and being open about stuff like that. Everybody's got, you know, issues big or small. And, um, sometimes the way to keep yourself accountable is to just talk about them openly. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely something that I'm getting used to, you know? It's, yeah. I mean, the best way for me to like check myself with my weight and stuff like that is to openly tell my friends and family, like, yeah, I'm fat right now. Yeah. I'm fat. I am fat. I am a slob. And I will continue to be that until I do something and change it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about, like, if you want to fat shame me, please do it. Because I need it. I need people to tell me, like, dude, you're, what are you doing? That's one of my favorite quotes is people won't change till they're tired of their own bullshit. Yeah. You know? Like that's that, a good one. That's yeah. when you'll, that's when you'll make the change. And that's a good one, man. Well. Look, man, we've been going two and a half hours, and you know, if you want to talk about anything else, the floor is open. But you know, I appreciate you coming on and, and doing this. This has been this has been awesome, man. You're gonna be a you're gonna be a homie from now on, man. We've had a good conversation. Absolutely, we'll have to do this again, man. Oh yeah, dude, yeah. you're welcome on here anytime to promote. You got any? Are you working on music? Are you gonna come out with something new? Yeah, or? right now the big push is the uh, Don't Sell the Farm tour. So yeah, we're absolutely. working on that. I've and been putting people on you, man. People have been checking right you out, on, man. So. so you know, go check out the music video on YouTube. Uh, just look up Miller Holler, Don't mm-hmm. Sell the Farm. We've got a mini documentary out with that as well. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Man, just, you know, thank, yeah. you, thank y'all for listening to the music. Thank y'all for following us. Um, talk about Miller Holler as much as you can. That's how we grow. We don't, yeah, man. We don't have an advertising budget. And uh, Yeah, I was going to ask you if you don't mind if I play some of your stuff, like on my intros and outros and stuff like absolutely, that. Absolutely, man. Okay, you never know with... Uh, you know, copyright stuff. I got a couple of guys that let me play their stuff, and I like I like playing stuff that's not just beats all yeah. the time. I like playing people's music, so I'll yeah, def- man, I'll definitely plug your stuff and all that. Hey, there's so. no bad press for me. So. Hey, man, anytime you got like a show coming up or anything like that, just just text me or whatever, and I'll, I will. Yeah, I'll talk will. about it. So. October 14th, we'll be at the Wild Horse. That's our I think nice. ne- next Wild Horse gig. So me and the misses are going to come see you at some point. We're going to find a babysitter and. Go to, go over to Nashville and check it out. So come on, fun. man. Yeah, but hey, man. Uh, thanks everybody. For, hey, thanks for coming on the Hitters Only podcast, man. Thank you for having me. All right, man. I appreciate it. Girl, I got a secret. I can't even keep it no more Well, your body's moving like an ocean Got me losing control You're so brand new to me Just wanna do what you do to me Ain't letting you go You light my fire, baby You get me going crazy You're everything that I want, I want Girl, let me take you higher All we got is just one night And I'll do whatever you want Little whiskey on the rocks And a kiss at the bar Make your heartbeat stop Lay you down nice and slow Whatever you want I'll do whatever you want